Hey world, welcome back to the Shape of a Star podcast where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it to the, like where the star or something like that. So some people ask me, where on earth do I find these guests? And as the premise of the show goes, anyone is fascinating and everyone is fascinating to me. So how on earth did I find this person? Well, televised, loved, and just all around, basically people, I was on HBO, I found the cool competition show, and I was like, cool, let me creep and find people, because why not? So actually, our guest today was the first person I looked for from the show, the Great Pottery Throwdown. So everyone, please welcome Nam. Hi, everyone. How's it going? It's good. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for inviting me, Danny. It's awesome. No problem. No, like I said, like you were the standout of the show for me, but we'll get into all that later. So, uh, yeah, people describe themselves the best. So I'm just going to let you take it away to like quickly introduce yourself before we hop in. Uh, wow. Um, it's amazing. You sound so confident um, in your introduction. Um, so my name is Nam, uh, a potter from London. Um, did the Pottery Throwdown a while ago, about six, seven years ago. And now I run my own pottery studio and make my own work and pot about, literally. Yeah. Oh, that was a good intro, saying I sound so confident. You too. Yeah. All right. So we, as in the world, got to know you because of this show, The Great Pottery Throwdown. So something I'm always wondering, because you're actually the first person I have on that was like casted in the competition show. And I know it's like, British and like UK stuff, but what was the casting process like? Um, we didn't know. So the production company was the same as the Bake Off. Um, it was uh, Love Production. They did the Bake Off and they wanted to do a series on pottery and we were the second season. So they did the beta series already and they went all wrong on the first season. And then they did season two where they were working out a bit more. Um, it was it was intense. So it was four rounds. Um, you would have to apply by email, then you get invite, so you talk to someone face to face, they give you they ask you about technical knowledge, then you're introduced to the final round, semi-final, where you would do a throw down challenge in front of other contestants. So there'll be sixty more other contestants who are applying, then everyone throws a pot, talk, and obviously they're looking for people who can talk and throw um, using play rather than just um, he's really technically good or just really talkative and not good at all. Um, so you need to be a bit of both. After you get through that um, test, you would then go to the um, therapy um, test. So they'll take you to a therapist to see if you can handle the stress of being on TV and the constraints of what the competition might um, entail. Okay, so like, what do they ask you in the therapy test? Oh, uh, um, yeah, it's weird because I've never been to therapy before. But um, and as a potter, you're like, oh man, what are they going to ask me? Because it could be anything, right? Uh, she sat down, asked me. It was, I think, it was more like a stress test, um, one to ten questions on how well I handle situations, what would I do, uh, issues like that, and how confident do I feel. Um, it was very subtle. I think it wasn't as um, intense as, as as it was. Okay, that's cool to know, because actually, I don't know if you guys watched it over there, but when Dance Moms was huge, um, 
one of the contestants on one of the spinoff shows that joined Dance Moms, she was like four, but she was like dominating the competition. And they always talk about like, yeah, she had to go get a psych test before they let her on the show because they thought she was too young. Oh, wow. And so on the first season, they had a contestant who had a nervous breakdown and just left halfway through the competition. So I think that's the reason why they did her psycho test, like psychotherapy test. Um, for the second season. Um, otherwise, people would just drop out due to uh, the amount of pressure. And it was. And hopefully I can talk a bit more about that, how uh, it is a show. You know, it, it, it's made for viewers to have a laugh, enjoy us, um, reveal our characters. Um, it's not 100% pottery. And if you're 100% potter going in there, it's not what you're going to expect. And a lot of us, it blew our mind. We're like, oh my God, you know, got to wake up at like eight in the morning, got rehearsals and then like got to throw something. But then cameras are there. There's two people talking to you at the same time. And you're like, oh my God, like what am I doing? Like, um, can you stop talking to me? I'm trying to make a pot and not get kicked out. Um, so there's quite a lot going on at times. No, I can only imagine. Uh just okay eight o'clock though is not the worst call time i've heard for tv <laughs> oh true but no that's super fascinating that they were so emphasized on also you would think that after having the, it's the same production company as like the bake-off you would think they would have like some of the smoothed out already mm, so with the bake-off it's very very simple because um with ceramics it takes a longer process stuff goes wrong more and you need the drying time, which are weeks even. Um, and then the kiln time. So in the oven, perhaps they take a few hours, rest time, you know, 30, 40 minutes, hour. Um, pottery, 24 hours in the kiln, seven days waiting time for it to dry. Um, they had to rush it all. So everything was kind of done in about a day's time. Wow. So, yeah. Also, something else you said that was super fascinating is it's you're not just a potter on the show. You have to come with a character and you got to commit. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that's what they kind of picked um, during the, um, the interview stages. They didn't want your average, you know, I'm a potter from Cornwall or like I'm a potter from Devon and this is all I do in my life. They wanted a potter with a background story. Um, and everyone has some really cool background story. And we, we all became great friends, by the way. Um, like, I think, you know, there was 12 of us, 10 of us, and eight of us are still in the WhatsApp group. And I'm, I literally talked to Clover uh, the other day, because, you know, I was like, oh, I'm bored, what are you up to, what's going on? Um, yeah, it, it bonds you, because we were great background stories, and, you know, this show linked us all up, because we we're potters, and we're like, is this, what's going to happen now? It's like, part of our journey. It, it was, Everyone had really great background stories. Like one of the contestants was like like a millionaire who sold like um, one Elaine. She did uh, she sells bananas. Um, oh. A distribution of bananas. A distribution a distributioner of bananas um, for the UK, and um, she distributes to all the supermarkets. And we we're like, oh my god! And she came in with a handicap. Like you know, one of her hands didn't work properly. And she didn't tell people that during the show. But, you know, we obviously knew as contestants, well, oh my God, she's like amazing. 
and that's the kind of stories we've got to know each other about. No, that's super cool to hear, actually, because something about, like, the production of shows, although I do feel like that's so more American than, like, stuff on your side of the pond, is that, like, no, they try and get you to hate each other. <laughs> it's just so uh, that, like, you guys they, they have did, more drama. No, no, uh, no, you're right. Um, there's always that. They, they they did try to make some of us villains, but the issue is that it's pottery and we're British, so it's really <laughs> hard. So, so we're like... Oh yeah, his pot is a bit wonky, but it still looks good. You know, I've got nothing else to say, something like that. But the production company, so you always get one um, kind of director asking you um, all the time, um, like three, three strange questions, and we always worked it out. Like they'll ask you, what could go wrong, what um, you know, what has gone wrong, and what you think could go wrong, and they'll ask you certain questions where you know it can then change the, the way that they direct the show. So it could make you look like a villain, even though you're a nice person and answered the question in a weird way. Uh, but, you know, it's just simple questions like, oh, how do you think of Danny's pot? Um, do you like it? You know, but if you didn't like it, what would you say? Like, oh, is there a color on, on his pot that you didn't like? Or, you know, their pot that you hated? Or is, is her pot, like, horrible? Um, and you're like, uh, yeah, I want to answer that. But, you know, it's, it's a tricky question. Um, so. Yeah, and that is why everyone, if I'm ever on a production show, I want you guys to come listen to these podcasts to hear how I really am <laughs> because I know I'm going to be the villain. I am so good, uh, like go ham, <laughs> because I'm like, okay, sure, I'll be the bitch today. Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> Did you see how they painted it on? Blah. It really well, is, and, and when, when we watched it back as well, we're like, oh my god, um, that, that's, that's the way they made us look, it's, it's hilarious. It's... Oh, wow, look at that, people. I hope we're not blowing your minds. Um, <laughs> um, they're real people in real situations that are put under immense stress for our fun. And look, eight of them are still chatting like today. Hamsters. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, like hamsters. Okay, so you said you had to, like, talk technical stuff and, like, technical shop when you were, like, auditioning, I guess? It is an audition, yeah. Did you have to, like, provide, like, a portfolio of samples and stuff? Yeah, um, I think on the second stage, as I mentioned, you have to go in, bring a few of your pots in, describe what you make, what's your strong point, um, what's your weak point, um, what kind of pots you make, um, stuff like that. Um, one of the dogs got in, by the way. But, yeah, no worries. Uh, <laughs> so, how did you hear about it in the first place? Because you said you had to apply and even like email in. Like, how did you even know? Oh god, I was really reluctant. Um, I actually was teaching part-time pottery classes during that time, like evening classes for adults. Um, and someone mentioned that, oh, we saw this um, great TV show. It's a, you know, the pottery great throwdown, and um, we think you should apply. I was like, oh god, no, I hate the tone of my voice. I hate what I look like, um, you know, I'm a potter. And then they were like, yeah, but you know, um, what, what you got to lose? You know? And in the end, one, one of my friends and my partner, Susie, um, kind of coaxed me into there. And I was like, right, I'll, you know, I'll give it a go, uh, see where it takes me. And yeah, it's, I, I to be honest with you, had, uh, I thought, you know what, they, they don't want someone a bit boring at like me or, you know, they want some 
blonde, um, you know, tall six foot um, British model going into the final. And I was like, nah, that, it's not definitely going to be me. But yeah, it was fun. It was, it was, a, it was just throwing my hat in the, sh you know, my name in the hat and seeing it, it come out. So it was worth a shot. And it paid off. And you now know that you can have the self-confidence that you were more interesting and or a million other factors than a ton of other people that auditioned. Oh, uh, yeah. You got through. Um, it's true. I think I got through, through um, just, I think a lot of it was just realizing that maybe I should stop talking about pottery during the interview and more about myself or at least what I do. And then what tends to happen is that it made me grew a lot during this whole process because when I realized that it, it was never, the pottery is just technical you know, processes. That's, that's what's relevant. And it's great. Um, it's great to teach that. It's great to influence students from that. Um, but um, what makes the pot unique is what you inject into the pot. And that's what I try, kind of try to inspire other students now and really push it and um, tell them that, you know, it was never about the pot. It was always about you. Uh, a recording device that records you on this pot, not not just a pot that stands alone. You know, and they started using that like philosophy, like in the episodes. They were like, you know, this is one of the few things that will literally last millennia. <laughs> Other art forms will fade away, but ceramics and pottery, we see that still when we dig up holes in ancient civilizations. So yeah, it is a form of immortalization, a time capsule. Um, mm, just a exactly. lot. <laughs> but, okay, so you were actually mentioning earlier that, you know, it takes forever for things to, like, dry, to do the kiln. Um, something I, because I'm in the clothing, so production-wise, did they ever explain the reason why everyone had to wear the same outfits for the entire, like, episode recording process? <laughs> Yeah, um, we queried that as well. well. Why do we need to do that? Um, it's called continuality. Uh, so in case uh, you would always, in case you make it to the second round, you always do, you would need to bring back your t-shirt or clothing that you wore the previous round in case they needed uh, an extra mic check or something like you would talk on the background where you're talking about another person's pot, but the days has already passed, um, but they needed another um, comment or something to fit their script. Uh, so that you, you needed to look like the same person. So if you got a really weird haircut a week after, they would be really annoyed and they would try to like, uh, just get your face and not your um, hair or so. So um, everyone was, it, it's a continuality thing. Um, with the Dutch company, apparently. Uh, that's why. Okay, and so you guys are using pots and clay and, like, all this stuff. Did production clean the outfits for you between challenges and whatnot? Because every time you come back, everyone's pristine again, basically, and I was just like, huh, did they put it on you guys or did they clean it for you? No, no. Um, as, as nice as... Um, as nice as the bake-off and program looks... Uh, most of the money in the budget goes to the judges and the production company and set. Um, the contestants were kind of like a bit of a lower tier. So they, they 
were like, oh God, like they're like lemons, get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> so we would have, to, we would, the only thing that we would get paid for, so during the show, none of us got paid. What? Uh, we were only reimbursed for our travel, traveling. And mind you, we traveled from London, some of us, to Stoke-on-Trent, uh, which in America is not that far. Like, um, it's about a five-hour train ride. Five hours is a lot. To Stoke. Yeah, there you go. It's a long time. <laughs> so we'll travel from London to Stoke, stay there for a day, and they will cover sandwiches um, during our breaks and a coupon for our dinner. So uh, we were like, oh, God, we're like, we're, we're not trying to be big-headed by saying, oh, we're the star of the show. Um, but you know, <laughs> we are the contestants, and we're, we're literally not getting paid, and we're, like, busting our ass off for this show, trying to show who's the best and killing ourselves. Like, um, we're just getting treated horribly. Whereas the judges, they would get uh, hair and makeup, costumes, <laughs> And they've got their own um, kind of buffet area. And we're like, what? It's mental. It was, it was so crazy. Yeah, no, actually, the cast of Dance Moms talked about that a lot, too. Dance Moms is like my number one go-to reality show, everyone. Sorry, it's the only example I got. But no, they were talking about how... I, like, I need to check this out. Dance Moms, it's a trip. And like you said, too, they really did try to implement, like, the technique and stuff and, like, the all the stuff of dance, but then they realized they just wanted to watch the moms fight the whole time. So, and then let's show the kids dance great in the background. So, but so, where was um, I going with this? Mom, is, it, is it like little kids going to dance and then the moms are like, just like tiger moms in the back or Yeah. Tiger moms, Karen's like all that, but like also oh to God. be fair, it was also like a whole thing where the dance teacher was super like harsh and Abby Lee Miller, everyone. Abby Lee Miller, if you're ever listening to this, please come on. I'm a huge fan. I respected all like their teaching methodology. I was down for it, but it would drive the moms insane. So the moms would be like, you're setting my kid up to fail. <laughs> and it was just, oh I loved it. Eight seasons, over like 200 episodes, people. Oh, with wow. With two spinoff shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, but where was I going with this? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oh, actually, yeah, the next question was about hair and makeup. Did you have to do your own? But you said no, because you were lowly lemons. Mm, I think there's a few of us who did. So the only time we get hair and makeup is it was sweating a lot, and there was a lot of glare coming out from our foreheads. Um, or I think one time one of us cut our fingers and bleeding everywhere, and they had to patch it up. And that was a bit of hair and makeup, because they had to cover the blood and stuff and then obviously first aid so it wasn't that much um yeah two minutes what you saw on tv was what what we were like just wetting potters no makeup well that lighting must have been great because not one of you looked horrible um (laughs) (laughs) they're very closely done in this um nah actually i was just trying to remember but yeah okay so I'm, I'm just surprised you weren't paid. Like, I'm yeah, stunned. Yeah, mo- most of these shows, you're not paid. Um, you, you sign a waiver, and it's just either for publicity. Um, and that's, that's one why the contestants actually, some of them do make it through to the third or fourth round even, um, but they do back out due to job commitments, um, 
childcare, uh, family issues. Um, you can't, on the waiver it says you need to sign up for 10 weeks uh, and you have to commit. I mean, in case you make it to the final round. Um, so uh, a lot of people, you know, if you've got someone to look after or so, it's really tough um, to do that away from your family for X amount of time um, during those 10 weeks for free and you can't financially support them. Oh yeah, that was the other question I had too with all this is that when you guys are like waiting in between challenges, are you like stuck in like a hotel somewhere, like closed off production or do you like go home and come back in a few days? Um, so it's a two day on, um, so we're there for two days, then you go back home and then you wait for the things to get fired in the kiln, then you head back and to be judged and then, then if you make it, you stay on for another day to do the next challenge or you get kicked off, you go home straight away that day. Oh, okay. See, that was what I was wondering too, because a lot of like the big, big, big competition shows like Survivor and whatnot, apparently they send you to like a resort so that you're not like home posting online. Like, oh, I'm home guys, like in the Bahamas now. And they're like, and people figure out just by watching like people's social media, like, oh, you were home before this person. That means you got eliminated. So they like make like a little bubble. <laughs> so I didn't know if it was yeah. like that or. That'd be cool. I, I wish it was like that. No. Um, I, well, I think with a show, Survivors and stuff like that, or um, Celebrity Love Island or one of them, you need, they, they, some of them have betting on. So you can bet on on who's going to win and whatnot. Um, but with the, the Baker from Rodan, no one cares. You know, there, there's never any betting or, or um, kind of um, rooting for some winner with prize or so. So I think it was like, um, it, um, not, none of, all of us were told not to, to tell anyone as well. Okay. And that was the other thing I was wondering too. The actual only prize was a piece of pottery. Okay, so like, was it made by someone special? Like, uh, it was made by the judges. Okay, so I guess it's worth some money eventually. But I don't like that. Was my whole boggle mind thing? I was just watching this, and like, it actually was during like your season when I realized I was like, hold up, they just won something they can make themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ironic. Uh, I think it's more. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's so weird. It's for it's dragons, dragon right? You know, you, you get to brag about. It. Um, yeah, you're right. We win a pot that we actually make ourselves. Um, I guess. Uh, so after the throwdown, the American version will be. Have you seen Blown Away? Great show. Um, it's about. Glass. Oh, is that the like the glass blowing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. One. Oh my god. They get like a hundred grand or something at the end of their show. Yeah. Like, see, you, 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 the American production team or the Canadian, whoever they are, like, they gotta come over here and start offering some money because the the, the British, um, and the crazy thing is that we know that the production company they're getting millions because what happened was, um, and I don't know if if uh, if you'll be able to kind of suss it out, but if you watch our season. And the new seasons, um, season one, season two, we were on the BBC. The BBC is owned by the British um, broadcasting 
kind of channels. Okay. It's owned by the like the people, um, like us. We pay for it um, through a TV licensing thing that the British government did. We have PBS, um, everyone in America. Same thing. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Uh, so then the production company got bought out. They, they, they sold out, basically. Um, I think they got offered 10 million for the show um, to go to Channel 4, which is a private company. Uh, and then the moment we heard about that, um, the BBC cut them off. Um, and then the, only, the thing that they had to sort out was they had to do commercials during um, all their all the little bits. They had to have more contestants to fill in gaps on Channel 4. Um, mm-hmm. So it became more... Um, more fast paced it was more like a ter- quick turnaround every time they did a new season whereas when we were in the bbc it was very like home family homey and um they would just offer up uh, no prize but it was all about for the british you know uh, tv show you should be happy just to be on here that, that was kind of gimmick on it and this is why i'm the villain everyone because i would have said shit <laughs> you're gonna fuck this i'm out and it's like like straight up like hold up <laughs> you don't even put like my instagram handle under my name like something <laughs> no they, they, they wouldn't do that they would um that that would be considered um i can't remember that word that you couldn't there was a few things so i luckily got away wearing these shirts because the logos were very small but um on the BBC, because it's owned by the British, you're not allowed to wear anything too revealing, um, which may cause offence. You're not allowed to um, wear anything that is um, uh, that has a big logo brand due to you know, um, logos sporting or uh, endorsement. Um, there was loads of things like that. Uh, there was you know, um, a lot more stricter rules because, again, it was owned by the people. So a lot of people could have complained. Uh, Is it squelching for you? Because it's squelching for here. As in hot. No, no, no. I meant like the word. (laughs) Like that's what they called it. Like Uh, on Dance Moms, they had to like block out all the makeup labels and all their little makeup bottles. uh, But the issue was with the kids was that they couldn't figure out what color the makeup was anymore because they covered the color. So they would all put on different shades of like different colors and then they'd get yelled at more and production's like, oh, this is great. More yelling. Like it was a whole thing. No, no, but that, after this, after this podcast, I'll, I'll go and I'll go and watch um, Dancing Moms, Dance Moms. <laughs> then there was a British God, spinoff actually that... called Dance Moms. How was that? It was only one season. Um, I thought it was great, but I don't know. People got one season only. Actually, no, it got two. I don't remember. Um, but. Were they were they as spicy as their American moms, or were they like, oh no, no, they were Dorothy, feisty. Don't do that. No, they were definitely oh, feisty. Cool. Right. They were all feisty. They knew who they had a model to emulate. Um, oh, and right. also, I'll be honest: if you're spending that much money for your kids to learn something and be a part of it, like I would go back to it as well. Like I'm spending how much money just for my kid to take a class? Yeah, let them dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but I'm sorry. This isn't about dance moms. This is about you. So, in your <laughs> opinion, <laughs> which was the hardest challenge that that you had to do on the show? 
Um, I think like hand building, the one that I got kicked off on, it was just more to do with um, a technique that I really dislike. It was it was slow pace. It was something that um, I I would rarely teach because it was a fairly beginner's technique, and I, I should have suspected that. Uh, I should have used less technique there and more of what I wanted to do rather than focus on the technique um, and try to because they always judge you and we really didn't really work out what they did or what they wanted during the process at times so I was really focused on technique there and then I, was, I forgot about myself and what I wanted to try to showcase and I think I kind of slipped up but if you want some gossip um, yeah, always Always oh, a gossip. It's great. Um, the last pro- um, the last podcast I did was for St Martin's, actually, my university. And um, for those who don't know, it's an art uni, um, very prestigious in the UK. Uh, I just luckily got in there. I didn't, I didn't know what the hell it was at first, and secondly, I didn't know you can go to art uni. That was the thing. Um, and I managed to get into there. Had to do a, a podcast interview, and it had to be really professional. You know, I turned up guy with a mic and I'm like sitting opposite the mic like yeah you're ambassador for the students now I'm like yes I am yeah I better talk correctly uh, no swearing talk politely try and endorse the university I'm like <laughs> oh, and this this podcast is great I can like, say whatever <laughs> uh yeah so thanks world <laughs> too much, yeah I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you it, it most of this thing that you see are all scripted um, they, they've got they, they've got who they want to win in the beginning um, and a lot of us Again, because we're British, we're like, oh, you know what? It's it's bad, you know. Uh, it's bad, uh, you know, etiquette to like blame people for your loss or like, um, you know, you shouldn't say this and this, this and that. But most of the contestants knew who was going to win on the second fucking uh, challenge. So most of us like, wait a minute, why is this person getting more airtime? How's this person, um, you know, getting through? even when he's making challenges, getting wrong. And then the crazy thing is that all of the stuff that they were doing, it was masked after the, um, you know, the cuts and edits um, after the show. They kind of mask it and edit it just to make them seem a bit more uh, kind of friendlier. And there was no, oh, your, your thing broke, but we'll give you extra more time. Or on the episode before I got kicked out, there was a double, there, there was no elimination. There was like a double save. And yet, on the, on the bit when I get kicked off, it was a double elimination. I was like, what's going on? Like, um, it, it was weird. And we, it's all scripted. Um, and you don't want to sound like that person who's like, oh yeah, but it's been six years. I, I'm sure I'm it now. Like, what are they going to do to me? Chase me down with the pottery people? I was about to say, did you sign an NDA? Are you allowed to say this? <laughs> That's a good question, Danny. Um, is it, well, I'm, I think I'm allowed to say it because off, the season that I'm on, actually, um, I don't know how you saw it. I think it was on HBO, but HBO British, Max, um, amazing. Uh, so I assume HBO Max owns it now, um, because the British people, the British BBC TV, has kind of blocked it. So it's not my episodes aren't even aired no more in the UK. You can't even find it. So um, most of my my fans or people who watch me or contact me are from America or Australia because they got HBO. Ooh. So it's really weird, that, like, British people, people like, like, who is this guy? And yet I get messages from, um, you know, Australia going, oh man, I love your work. Like, I'm like, oh, thanks, uh, all the way from Australia. 
it's so weird. Oh, actually, fun fact. So as I was like, I was bragging to my friends, oh, guys, look, I got seven up with on TV coming on today. <laughs> and then my friends were like, who? And then I was like, oh, this guy, he does pottery. They knew your work and they never saw the show. Oh, sick. Yeah. And actually one of them was like, yeah, here's the post. Like it was shared on like a Instagram thing I followed. Like it's his Pokeball or like his like something. Oh, I think my it was God. a Pokeball. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I swear, I swear. Because <laughs> usually that person does not give a shit who I have on. That's why I tell them because I'm like, <laughs> you're not going to blow my, oh my ego, God. but I'll toot myself and you're not going to get annoyed. But he actually knew who you were. So I was like, oh. Wow. All the way from yeah. America. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. You already answered my last question. Do you keep up with anyone from the show? Obviously. We do. Because so the show bonded us with two ways. We're all potters, we're friends, but because of that issue, because of most of us going, wait a minute, this is a bit fishy, um, feels a bit scripted, yeah, what's going on? Um, I think that made us even bond even further. Uh, and we're like, right, um, you know, we're, we're not happy, but do we have the right to complain? Um, or they still kick us off because they don't care. You know, um, you know, what, what do they care if we just left the show? Um, so we all kind of complain uh, in a very low-term way on it, on WhatsApp as a group. Wow. <laughs> and see, but the other thing is, too, like I said, first of all, I, I'm not, my 3D art was never my thing, everyone, so we don't have to worry about this. But because I'm the American, I prefer you, I could be the villain very easily, too, <laughs> with a bunch of Brits. So, but no, like, have you ever seen what's it called? That show on Netflix about Nailed It, where they are horrible bakers? Uh, I've watched a bit of that. Sometimes it's a bit cringy. You're like, oh, God, that's a, that's a bad That would be pie. the kind of show I would be on. <laughs> because. No. No, not because I'm, I don't know. I can't bake. And a lot of my stuff, like that I have talents in and I'm all for, they don't really have shows because I just wouldn't make sense as a competition show. Like, sure, I do dance stuff, but, like, there's already dance competitions, Dance Mom's already a thing. I don't have, like, a cool, unique talent that can become one of these shows. But <laughs> I could be a good character and a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Work, don't fire me. That, that's um, all you need. That's all you need. That, the character and, you know, <laughs> the other thing. And that's all you need. Um, I think talent and technical things will get you to the end, but having character will will get you for the doors. <laughs> right. You know, you you want to remember that person. You know, you don't want some boring average Joe who goes up and goes, "Oh yeah, like I just do some pottery in my shed. That's what I do." And you know, here's my cat and my mom. Uh, you get, oh, that, 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 that's all you remember him for: cat and the mom. No, that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I'm waiting. I'm friends with a casting director too, who does like actually he did the circle, the most recent season of the circle. And I was just like, yo, cast me in something. I know I'm just some like ugly plain Jane Doe. And actually it was funny because <laughs> the person reached back out to me and he was like, uh no, you should see the people that apply. You're actually cute. I'm like, oh thank you. <laughs> Someone that oh, cast wow. for Hollywood thinks I'm cute. Oh my god! Is that so we, we could be I'm just waiting. In the casting, 
just waiting. If I disappear for Wait. six months, guys, that's why. <laughs> what, what, whereabouts are you in America? <laughs> I am on the East Coast by Washington, D.C. Oh, nice. I know where Washington is. Kind of yeah, I'm from New York, yeah. so <laughs> like right outside the city. So like, I could always just go back to New York. My, my, I'm, I'm telling you right now, most London kids, like myself, we don't go outside London much. And I think mean, Washington, New York, LA. That that's what we see in America. Like, it just those three states or bits, and we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's America. The rest of them were like, oh, that's somewhere in the world. You know where Disney is. <laughs> Some, somewhere in America. Oh, okay. No, because that's the stereotype that people always talk about is that like Disneyland in Florida, which is the very bottom of America on the East Coast, they're always like, oh, it's always European people because the euro is worth more. So they come and spend their money and it's actually not as much as what they would spend if they went somewhere in Europe. So that was the stereotype mm. back in the day. Oh, right. Gosh. These European people. <laughs> Spending their euros here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, use euros, by the way, to let you know. You know, fair. That is fair. <laughs> um, no, yeah. Okay, but again, this is about you, not the euro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. And so, how did you get into pottery in the first place? Because obviously you have to go in with certain knowledge if they're honing yeah. in on that. Uh, so I was doing um, a plumbing apprenticeship when I was uh, 16. Like most Asian kids, my parents were like, yo, you should do something um, fairly sensible. Go and make some money, you know. Uh, like I can be like my sister and try to be smart, which I'm not. Uh, she became a lawyer and whatnot. Like, you know, you always get like, a smart, bratty Asian kid sister, you know, oh, God, like, screw it. I'll be the older brother who just, you know, I don't smoke, don't take drugs, don't drink. So I was like, you know what, I should be a plumber because I like Mario. You know, and Luigi. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, it's great. I'm doing that for a year. And I'm like, oh, this is boring. Like, um, it was great fun because you get to fix stuff. It's like a little puzzle. Um, and you know it's going to be lucrative because everyone needs plumbing to be fixed at some point. And you're always going to be in a job, uh, job security. So... Then I looked at the other art department, which was opposite us, where I was doing my plumbing. And I was like, damn, these people look like, they just don't care. Like, they literally don't care. Like, these having fun. And I walked in one day and I was like, what's the criteria of your classes and what, what do you do? I was like, oh, we just lost about, you know, make some art. Uh, well, they were joking, but they were like, yeah, we, we're a bit more relaxed. We get to make whatever we want. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You get to do whatever you want? Like, like yeah. Um, because... At the beginning of art school, obviously you experiment and do whatever, and you see what interests you. So I was like, I'm in. Where do I sign up? Because um, when you're in the UK, um, when you're 16 to 18, you can do any courses in college for free. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'll, I'll sign in. Like, where do I sign? Um, quit my plumbing um, apprenticeship and went to do art. Um, then there was the art department, which is great. I did everything, uh, screen printing, painting, life drawing, um, collage, uh, metal work, uh, woodwork. And then I went to the ceramic department and no one was in there because uh, misconception in the UK is that everyone assumes that potters are old people who pots in the shed. And everyone's like, 
I don't want to be that, that guy. And I thought, that's, you know what? Um, I might as well give it a go. Um, what, what, what have I got to lose? You know, apart from becoming a potter again. Um, a plumber, sorry. And then I went in there carrying on potting about. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I get to make like weird stuff. Um, the teacher came and showed us, right, here's how you make a pot. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'll practice it. You know, learn to throw on the wheel, whatnot. Um, and then the second day, I was like, right, here's a water pistol. I want to recreate this in clay. And I was like, yeah, do it. And I was like, oh, really? Um, you're not going to tell me off or whatever? Because the, the day before that, we were in the woodwork shop and I was trying to make samurai swords. Um, we would, as any you know, kid would do. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then they were like, oh, you can't do that. That's a sharp object. Um, put it in the bin. I was like, oh, damn. Um, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm going to make this water pistol out, out of clay. And the teacher said, yes. And I was like, damn. That just means I can do whatever I want. And then at that instant, I was like, right. He just literally said, that I can literally create whatever I want out of clay by teaching me mold making, which was replicating whatever object you have in a fast mold and pouring um, clay inside it to give you the, the positive. Uh, and I was like, You've had, you, have, you have the power to recreate anything you want out of clay? And, I was, and then the teacher was like, yeah, I was like, I want that. I want that power. Like, I want, wherever that is, that's like a superpower and I want it. Um, and then I started diving in, making sculptural work. Um, I made these little sharp balls of ceramics. And then um, I did my final year show. I sold quite a few of them to my tutors and friends. And I was about to quit um, because you know, you're not going to make money in pottery. It's a guarantee. No, no one that I know. And I think I asked you in the very beginning, but how many potters do you actually know um, who aren't just an evening class students or hobbyists, um, how many potters do you know who actually survived doing pottery? Um, it's very rare, we exist, but it's, it's very minimal. Um, so I was like, you know what, maybe I should give up. And then luckily, there was a thing that my one of my art tutors recommended me to, um, or recommended the scout. So there's these scouts that goes out to certain areas in London, um, the boroughs in London, um, the areas where students would never apply for u university, and that was one of my borough, um, my areas. Um, they came and they inspected us, and they went, "Right, this kid looks like he's got some kind of form of, um, you know, talent in clay." Um, all you do, instead of instead of doing all the application and stuff, we'll do it for you. You just rock up to the interview, show them what um, you want to do and what you expect to do in um, university, and show them that yourself, and they'll tell you on the day there and then if you get the um, the placement for the university course. And I was like, fair enough. Um, one, we had, didn't know you can go to university for pottery or art because um, I was very close-minded. Secondly, <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know what, like really worried, like, oh God, like um, what are these posh kids going to think of me? Like this suburban kind of Asian kid going up uh, into like this central London, where like everyone has penthouses or coming from like really big wealthy family or some of them were traveling all the way across from the world just to come into art and you know i'm like oh well it's a bit weird um but yeah i got in then just carried on the process and um i dropped i uh, i thought about dropping out in the second year but carried on and finished my degree then straight away did a master 
in Swanton Glass at the Royal College, which was even higher than St. Martin's. Ooh, fancy. God, yeah, tell me about it. And it was like for just how expensive it is. So in in university for my bachelor degree, you get a loan, which most, most students get, you know, because you can't afford it. You know, it's, it's a lot of money. But in your masters, they go, right, um, 15 grand for the first year, please. And I'm like, whoa, that's a lot. So that's all my life savings and my pocket money um, paid straight away. And remember, it's a two-year course. So obviously next year will be another 15 grand. For the international students, I think they pay £35,000 per year per student, which is, oh my God, this is a lot. And if you consider these universities, they have 70% international students in there and only 30% home students, which is like mental because you can start to work out how much they're actually earning and what people are paying. I did my first year in my master and realized um, I don't fit in. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to fit into this art world because it's just a bit too much for me. Um, I can't. So I'm at, I'm 21. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this no more. Um, I need to actually think, focus, and start working more and earning more money, and obviously get a mortgage, uh, get a house, you know, get married, do the normal stuff. And I was, I was panicking. I was like, oh my god, that's what I need to do. So um, I quit in my second year. I, I didn't finish my master's. Um, went to work in um, a department store. So we call it Sainsbury's here or Tesco. Um, you guys have like like a Walmart. That's what yeah. You guys equivalent to that. So I was like working night shift there, putting boxes up on shelves. And I loved it actually. I was like, this is like free gym and they get paid for it. Um, and then one day um, I get an email first and I thought it was spam because oh no Nam uh, just actually disappeared he just disconnected um, we're just gonna hold out for him to reconnect everyone I guess you won't know because I'll just edit the part of silence out but we'll see when he gets back yeah so um, I received a, uh, a few spam emails saying that one of your tutors has passed away in St. Martin's and left you with something. Um, could you contact us back? And I was like, right, it sounds a bit fake. It sounds a bit too fishy. Um, I'm this broke-ass kid who's working in this like train department store. Uh, I don't need this in my life. And then I get an actual letter a few weeks later saying, right, this is a serious letter from a lawyer. Um, you know, you need to come and accept the possessions that are left for you, the content. And I found out a good friend of mine, one of the tutors in my university at St. Martin's in my bachelor, passed away and left me um, his whole entire studio and life work. And um, the, the issue was that uh, I would need to clear it in a week time um, before they sell the house. And I was panicking. I was like, oh my God, this is like a huge opportunity. Should I risk it? Should I just, um, you know, give up, or should I, uh, you know, risk it and take the his studio and do something with it? And I was like, I don't know what to do. And my dad, and my parents were like, um, you know, what are you what are you on about? This pottery thing is not going to work. Be worth anything? Like, you know, it, it didn't work. That's why you're in Sainsbury's. 
um, and it won't work if you get the um, stuff, if you get the equipment and studio, what are you gonna do? I have to hire a studio, I have to um, hire the re removal men and um, open up my pra own practice. And I wasn't ready, but um, I was like, screw it, you know, I'll go there. And it took me like two days to load everything into a van. And then it lived in the van for a week, they sold the house. And then I started the pottery studio. I walked into my job and just told my manager that I'm, I'm going. And this is what I'm doing. And he's like, you're mental, what's going on? And I was like, my, my tutor's died and he's left me everything. Um, I, I, I had to go and do this. Um, and he's like, man, you're risking like a, a job for nothing. And I was like, I know, but you know, um, I had enough, I'll see you there. Uh, <laughs> and I've always been that guy who, who's like doing a million things and stuff never really bothered me. I never used to be like anchored down by anything. I used to hover a lot. Like, uh, you know, I'll try a bit of Muay Thai, I'll do some cage fighting, I'll um, do some pottery, I'll see if my art career works out, you know, work in a convenience store, work in a Japanese sushi store, all sorts. Um, but when I got this note, when I got um, this email and this um, letter and sorted out the studio and cleared up his belonging, it really meant something slightly. It was like, um, you know, you get a sign when someone's like, oh shit, you know, maybe I should do something with my life slightly. Um, and this was it. Um, I, it started snowballing. I, I opened up the studio. It was tiny, the size of a toilet, um, barely fitted any of the equipment in. And then I taught one or two students. And then that's when someone mentioned I should apply for the throwdown. And I was like, right, yeah, I've, I've got some of the equipment so I can practice. Um, if I needed to, I, I know what I'm doing because I went to university for this um, um, subject. So I should be fine. And then obviously applying for the throwdown, then finishing it, opened up more doors and people started wanting to collect my work and just carrying on from there. So it, it's a weird story that you know, it started off nothing um, and slowly snowballed into something. And now I have a studio that it's, like the size of a big factory and we have about a hundred or so students coming in and out every week um, and we've created a mini community where i teach students to then become teachers and then they can self-sustain their own practice so they don't end up like me quitting you know halfway through because they feel like there is no way to earn living through this uh, and it's nice to see that and i think in a way, you know, getting um, the wheel from my tutor um, helped, you know, snowball the, all this stuff. Wow. What you thought was a spam email literally changed the course of your entire life. God. Yeah, exactly. I could have deleted it. I don't, even if you did delete it, I feel like the lawyer would have hounded you, but. It, it, it was only because it was cheaper, apparently. If I came and removed all the heavy machinery because I knew what to do, um, then if they was to hire removal men, which is weird, right? Um, that's that's why he kept on hounding me to come and collect it. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you ever find out why he chose you to leave it to? Um, so you know those those annoying kids, and 
in school where they go up to you and ask you a million questions like why 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 is that happening or or they will stay extra hours and not not to like be the big-headed kid in the class they, they would be the one who really try hard because they suck so bad and i i would be that kid i, I was never naturally talented at anything um, i was i was always the one who worked really hard and then never got that far but kept on working and never being the a-star student but you know never given up so i i was always there after hours and he i think he saw the struggle and he used to tell me like stories of you know um how he one day opened up a, a studio in uh, portugal and his dream was to like educate students and it was the students who um were kind of underprivileged who he would want to support more and him being in St. Martin's. He was also a student from the university. So he would he understood that a lot of them were um, these students who would come from rich backgrounds and um, they would not really care about the technical processes and they would pay for everything. Yeah. And people people like myself who would sit there for ages and try their best just because they know there would like be no way out if we don't succeed in this process. And I think that's the kind of stuff we saw in me. And looking back, like sometimes I try to ghost project what what I used to be like as a university student and what people thought of me and see looked at me. Um, you know, I, I tried my best and it was it was always hard. Everything I did, there was always a door being closed on me just because, you know, there wasn't the right outfit or I didn't go to the right clubs after the classes, um, or drinks for friends. Um, it was very strange. And St. Martin's a really weird place. If you imagine um, Harry Potter when he walked through the doors, that is how our building was like in Holborn, really? essentially. You walk through these two massive giant doors, and there will be a giant stair stairway going up, a Victorian building. And you walk through all these little alleyways. There'll be different art rooms everywhere. There'll be students coming in. Um, wearing all sorts of different clothes, you know, um, there'll be students who, with a higher fashion lot, they'll be all coming in with their Louis Vuittons and um, Gucci, Cavinci clothings, and then you get the um, fine art students who are always covering overalls. It was amazing. It was actually a great hub, um, but it was it was like um, a whole different world when you walked into that place. Um, it, it was literally what art university was kind of meant to be. Um, just create chaos and um, yeah, mentalists just walking around the building. Um, I loved it. It was it was crazy. And there was me covered in clay, and um, <laughs> I think like the Dragon Ball Z T-shirt, um, just walking around the building. It's like who's this kid? He looks like a builder. Uh, a former plumber. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay. Wow. I did not honestly expect such an in-depth story that was a wonderful beautiful story uh so actually this is a good question to ask now how old are you because you were saying like your ages i'm like i don't even know how old you are now that's a good oh god i, I lost count after 30 um 88 26th of december be the math faithful oh. you're also a december baby yeah <laughs> boxing day Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Leanne was just in a movie about Boxing Day. I still haven't seen it, but that's how I learned what Boxing Day was. Do you know why it's called Boxing Day? 
Wasn't it a rebellion? No, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> it, it's weird. Everyone seems a oh, boxing day. So to do something boxing, it's not. It's when the um, I think the old tutors or Victorians would leave their um, so they would have a great meal in Christmas and leave boxes of um, leftovers outside their houses, and hence it's called Boxing Day um, for um, people who are a bit under privilege to um, take the boxes. Oh my God! So it's Poor People Charity Day. Yeah, kind of like leftover days um, for the poor people. It's a bit weird. It's a bit. Yeah, they need to change that at some point. But after you saying that, it's a bit kind of pressured. Okay, sorry that I ruined your holiday. Um... <laughs> it's not a holiday. It's, it's just it's my birthday. True, it's your birthday. So <laughs> the real reason to celebrate, everyone. So, uh. Okay, so after all this stuff, you were the potter in residence for the London Jewish Museum. What does that entail, being like the potter in residence? Uh, that's a good part, question. Um, one, it was strange because I'm not Jewish, so you know. <laughs> but I taught a few classes and I met some really nice people. And they were like, oh, you were in the throwdown. Um, could you potentially advise us well, they were curating a show with Jewish potters. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I can give some tips on who you can talk to, what collection you could um, you know, try to acquire. And then the, they were like, right, well, it's a bit last minute, but we've got this idea. How about we have this exhibition, but we have you in a box at the end of the exhibition. Instead of like a gift shop, you will see a, a potter making some pots. Um, obviously, they won't buy anything from me, but they would see how the process were made. So I was placed in a box. It was really nice, actually. They left me a pottery wheel. I would throw some pots every few minutes and then just ask questions because it was always nice. You know, It's always nice to walk around the exhibition and go, how was that made? And then I would be like a information guy. Okay. Making pots. Yeah. So I was just making pots on the side, just making my own work, um, whilst being looked at like a little, um, you know, monkey in the zoo. But it was really nice. Though. <laughs> wow, uh, performance art. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, that is not what I expected because, like, we have artists in residences here, stateside, but they're like. Oh, okay. You get to live on the in the park national park for a year, but you're expected to like make X amount of like art based off this thing. And I was like, so do you just walk around the museum and get inspired and make art for them? <laughs> or no, uh, that would be cool. Um, that that the, the stuff that you're describing is right. Yeah, that's what I expected as well. But this was like uh, the first time doing something of this scale, and um, a lot of um british pottery were i think a lot of british pottery um influencers or kind of the big hitters are jewish um jewish potters who escaped the war and started a movement of studio studio pottery and they're very iconic in the uk and that's what they wanted to showcase um like i think one of the potters called lucy reed and anyone who does pottery would know of her, even in the US. Um, 
just because one of the bowls sold for like quarter of a million recently a Sotheby or so so it's quite a lot um so yeah and they had two of those bowls during the show and I was like damn that's that's, a, that's half a meal in that um in that cabinet right there um so it's a, it a really big show there is another residency at um the VNA museum in London and hopefully if you ever come to London please pop by yeah I'll give you a little tour I was about to London. say you're gonna show me around London yeah totally <gasps> everywhere um and then yeah there's a VNA um residency as well where actually you get ten thousand pounds for the year and then you walk around the museum as you mentioned then you would need to make something of the collection and then there is also a box <laughs> there's, there's a glass box over there where you would be making in and then um guests will walk past you and see you make and ask you questions but then you also will have to talk about your work and any development to them so what, what you mentioned is correct um, just i did a very smaller one how long were you the resident um i think it was a four-week residency oh okay so i'm thinking like wow you're doing this for a whole year stuck in a box um no <laughs> <laughs> oh, god i was like judging by what you've been telling me about your personality that's not how you fly um <laughs> i'm in uh, and out i'm done <laughs> in and out and done that's nice okay yeah. so the pieces that you were making while you were there because you said you were making your own stuff do you get to keep your stuff oh yeah yeah it was, it was fairly relaxed residency um so wherever i made my studio was only like 20 minutes down the road so every time i made something and it got over the shelves were really full i just took them back home and fired them but it was just nice to um i quite a lot of students from that show because a lot of people were qu querying where can i go to learn or where can i purchase some of your pieces and it was just nice to show them you know you go here um as as a maker you're probably aware like, I'm, I'm a very like um introvert i don't i don't go one i don't go outside much um go home pop, go home walk the dogs go home um so it, it's it's nice to kind of um showcase some work once in a while and talk to people and even doing this interview i was like oh man i need to talk to someone it's like stressing me out um i'm i'm i'm, I'm like oh god i'm sorry <laughs> didn't mean to stress you out no, no, no it's fine it's um yeah as i mentioned i, I need to at some point uh, go out there and do something rather than just hide in the pottery studio all my life hmm. makes sense don't worry though the moment i'm in london i'm letting or i book a trip i'm letting you know and then you can show me around the real town and then i'll get you out of that studio or you could show me the studio too i'd be down yeah, I can show you some pottery and then we'll go out, go to Chinatown, go to the British Ooh. Museum. I, I can bore you with a lot of facts or, you know, you let me know what you want to do when you're in London. Yeah. Everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been overseas since I was in China in 1997, so. Oh, wow. Long time. Yeah, about 25 years. <laughs> or will be 25 years in December. It was a whole thing. It was when we were adopting my sister, people. It's okay. Um... <laughs> But, oh, last question about this, like, residency. So how familiar were you with Judaism before you got this gig? Um, I, I, 
when I, I wish I was more familiarized with it. It was only, I wasn't that familiar. I had so many Jewish friends. Yeah, I never asked the question because uh, I don't know how it is in, in Washington, but in the, in London, there's a lot of cultural clashes in the sense that we all merge and no one queries it. We're not, racism is not that big in London. Like we're not, like everyone's, there's in the sense of, there's a lot of cultures. It's very hard to be racist here. Um, if you, it's like one of those, but it's only in London, outside of London, obviously there's a lot more um, folk who are kind of Caucasian and then it gets a bit more, um, then you can differentiate a bit more. But in London, there's like Jewish, um, Islamic, um, you know, Oriental, all the cultures, because obviously a lot of us from, um, you know, boats or different um, cultures, or when the British Empire was so big that they brought all of us here and try to conquer the world, but it didn't really work out. I'm from so, Hong Kong, I'm very aware. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, there you go, Danny. Um, they, they try to um, conquer the world and, oh, sorry. Um, notice you've got a fish tank in the back as well. You're leaning on my fish tank at the moment. <laughs> um, oh, I said, ooh, so, sorry, I was muted, but oh, cool. Uh, so, yeah, um, I wish I knew more. But the weird thing is that um, here goes a random story. Um, after the exhibition, I learned a lot about Judaism and um, about the war, even more than what we were taught in history and what was happening. Um, and then um, I, I opened up the studio in South London where our building got shut down during lockdown and then we were forced to move out. And this is how the studio, the massive studio that I built up um, recently um, got acquired um, through luck and sheer willpower. Um, and you can see it on my Instagram real story. You see how me and my partner Susie built it during lockdown. Um, and we moved to the studio where um, we were forced to move there or retire because during lockdown, no one wanted to do pottery. You can't do anything. Obviously, as you know, you've got to wear a mask, can't be too close. So a lot of my friends in the pottery studio were closing. Uh, so um, when we moved to this place, um, we moved to a place called Stamford Hill. And if you ever visit my studio, it's like, I think you've got it in America, New York. It's like little um, Israel. Is that a thing? Little, little Israel? Yeah. Is that a thing? There might be. I know there's like little Italy. There's a Chinatown. There's like little sections yeah. of culture. Yeah. So there's a little, I think there's a little Israel. Um, but we, we have something similar here. It's, it's in Stanford Hill. When I moved there, I was like, whoa, um, do you watch the, the Netflix um, Unorthodox? Yeah. Yeah. So I watched that as well. And I'm literally in that world at the moment uh, where like, it's, I'm encompassed by that because um, the area is very high in um, Hasidic Jewish kind of the world of that is there. And um, it's very traditional and it's so strange because you walk out and it's, but it's very safe weirdly enough. It's not like um, the mean streets of London here. And I'm having to learn a lot about um, the culture and stuff like that here as well. I was about um, to say, is everything shut down for Shabbos for you? Yeah, so on Saturday, it's so strange, you know. Um, even noticing, you know, after um, I'm all thoughts, I was walking around going, right, um, it can't be true. You know, um, they, don't, they don't just have 
old Nokia mobiles without no internet on them. And I was walking around, I was looking at um, some of the rabbis and stuff, and they've just got Nokia 3210s or really old school Motorola phones. And I was like, oh my God, these are like, this is so true. Or, um, yeah, stuff like that, it's so crazy. And you said which sect are they? Which what, sorry? Which, which sect of Judaism are they? That's a, that's a good point. I don't, no, okay, yeah. you don't know. No, no worries. Nah, <laughs> so like I grew up in New York and like actually the part where I grew up, um, it was ultra-Orthodox and and high ultra-Orthodox. No, ultra-Orthodox and Orthodox, I think. No, I don't. We, anyway, we have ultra-Orthodox, I know. And I didn't realize that the word ultra actually meant the thing. They're different. Um, oh, right. No, so now my whole grandma's neighborhood is, well, shuts down for Shabbos and we had off all the Jewish holidays along with all the Christian holidays and it was wonderful. Now they have off Chinese New Year. Hey. Um, <laughs> but so, no, I always just love hearing about like what people know about Judaism only because I was so engrossed in mm. like the world forever and I know a lot more that, than people think. And that's I don't a, know. I could... See, that's, that's the thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm only going into that world now because my studio is in the heart of it. Um, for those who don't know, um, if you Google search Stamford Hill and if you ever visit London or the UK, Stamford Hill is a very um, high, I think it's, it's, a, it's not ultra-Orthodox, um, it's just a very Orthodox area. Um, would ultra-Orthodox be the one where they're wearing the mink hats and stuff? <laughs> I don't know how to tell oh, the yeah. difference. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so we're, we're in that area at the moment. and. It's so strange because there's, I would say, as you know, there's always a bit of tension um, within those communities and within, in front of all the schools or the houses, there's a lot of security guards. Um, you see a lot of men um, in high vis and with security guards. And, you know, um, even though the children are playing freely, um, you can sense there's tension in the area at times, but the area I'm in Stamford Hill, it's such an orthodox um, Jewish area that um, it, I feel very safe. You know, when I walk around there, I'm like, you know, it's it's very it's one of the areas in London that you're least likely to you're going to get mugged, guaranteed. Yeah. It's it, it's really nice. I believe it. Um, yeah. So no, okay. So it's just interesting to know because I didn't know if like you were like somehow British Vietnamese Jewish or something. Like you never know. <laughs> And just the hybrids of life. You never know. But, so, by the way, everyone, if you noticed, I did not say that what today is earlier because I was waiting for this moment to text contextualize the day. So, Nam's work, Nam's work here is inspired by games, cartoons of his childhood. So, I'm here to wish everyone a happy Digimon Day. Oh, my God. <laughs> Digimon was my favorite thing. You're 88, so hold up. You actually might be the same age. No, okay, you're a little older. Then actually the kids on the show, Digimon. Digimon's my favorite. I, I remember Digimon really well. Digimon, Digimon. But only a certain era would do that, because it got split at one point. Because Digimon and Pokemon were a bit like, you know, kind of, is it a copycat? Is it its own thing? But I, I go into Digimon. It was like, Super fun for me to watch. Oh my god! <laughs> a true, sorry, people. This is a, 
Go on. <laughs> it got weird for me when they started to do the armor teach evolves and the egg. It was like, mm, that's a bit too much for me now because I got, I got, I got lost in it. It was like how the new, new era of Pokemon has like totally just blurred me out. Um, yeah, no, I get it. Uh, for those who can't see, which is all of you, because this is a podcast <laughs> and I forget that. Um, no, I held up my Patamon and I have my Digi Egg of Hope, which is actually a dice roller for D&D. I don't keep dice oh in there. Oh my God. <laughs> because I don't get how you use it, but <laughs> I have it next to me at all times. Oh. That is super cool. I also have Vaporeon right here. Oh, that's even cooler. Oh my God. I'm glad you got Vaporeon or Flareon or Electron rather than the one of those new ones. That's slightly a bit weird. So you're a Gen 1 purist is what I'm hearing. I I, um, I think, so I told you, I, I might have mentioned to Danny in, in the beginning that I'm making 151 Pokeballs. And for those younger generations or the newer generation, um, it was originally 151. So that's why I'm keeping to that. I'm getting too old to remember more names, you know. It's barely remembers the people coming in my studio. So, you know, 151's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, I stopped after Gen 3. I don't know why. I just oh, didn't Oh, wow. Like... Oh, my God. But I did play the most recent one. And let me tell you, I wasn't a fan. But Which one was that? Uh, Sword and Shield. Oh, right. Because um, there was that other one in the beginning, right? The, like, um, Caveman one. Prehistoric one. No, that's the one coming up. No, no, no. Oh, um, no, Arceus. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, Have, so... Did you Ar that? No. I just oh. did not care. <laughs> oh, wow. The only reason why I cared about um, Sword and Shield is because I loved the variant of the Ponyta. Oh, And I was like, I need that in my life. I actually didn't even own a Switch, and I bought a Switch just to play that game. Played the game, hated it. <laughs> oh wow! And then it was um, funny because oh, go on. No, no, no you're, the, you're the first person to say you hated it. it it's just I, I've been I've been trying to convince myself not to get back into Pokemon again because if I do, I'll go into like a wormhole and I'll have to play everything. Like I'll have to, I'll have to clock everything and really focus. But I don't want to get into that wormhole, so I'm I'm out I'm out for the time being. So I've just been asking people. I watch the Pokemon Nuzlocks on YouTube, and that gets my urge out. Because I'm like, I don't want to uh. play this. <laughs> but, no, I got a Switch, and all my friends are playing Fire Emblem Three Houses at the time. And let me tell you, holy cow, am I devoted to that franchise now. I was stunned. <laughs> that I was so into wow. Fire Emblem. But again, this is not about me, this is about you. So, here on uh. Digimon Day... Um, <laughs> what are your favorite games? Oh man, um, old school or just I, I, to be honest, I haven't played any proper games in ages. Uh, but one of my favorite games, just going on to the errors. Um, oh man, apart, apart from Final Fantasy, there was another one, but I forgot the. It's gonna kill me now. Um, I'm gonna say Ragnarok. But that's not a game. It was part, it was a move in the game. It was definitely a move in the game. But I, I'll try and remember it during the podcast. You know, it will hit me. Okay. Um. Which uh, Final Fantasy? Um. It has to be Final Fantasy Seven. That's what I grew up with. Um. The original, the one where they look like little block figures. Yep. And they go t -t 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 -t. 
No, yeah. So, have you played the remake yet? No, but I've heard about it um, from my friend. And so, uh, again, I I didn't own the PlayStation until it became less cool to own PlayStation. So then I got one, and then I was that kid who was lagging behind, and it was always the case of, oh, we're done with Final Fantasy VII now, we're moving on, and I was still like. Oh no, but Aries is still like killing my people and trying to level up my chuckabo. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, I, I, but I, I stood next to my friend who was playing it the other day on his um, PS, and I was, I was like, oh yeah, but I, I think I'm, I'm moving away from the virtual world slightly. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me no more. I think I'm slowly becoming that old pottery, boring potter that. I might mention earlier, where um, the tangible is more, uh, the physical and tangible is more important to me than the virtual. And uh, I'm trying to make it a thing where I'm doing less virtual stuff and more physical, um, tangible stuff. Um, not just sport, but more to do with. Nam has frozen for us, guys. I assume. He'll be back any moment, mostly because I still see he is connected. Ooh. Now I can. Uh, oh, sorry about <laughs> sorry. that, Danny. It's just like all going pear shape. on technology on me. I, I I tried to transport you from another iPhone to my desktop, but then my desktop apparently wouldn't support StreamYard. Yeah. Yeah, we're back now. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, no worries. Uh, all right, let me do the second. Oh, my God. Oh, cool. Sorry. No, I ran to the bathroom. It was great. Uh, <laughs> let me do the five seconds of silence. All right, I don't remember where we left off, but <laughs> I know we were talking about your favorite games and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was Final Fantasy, um, number seven, but um, I, I've stopped playing games and I, I would love to to be honest I, I know I wish I was actually had more time to play games but I think making ceramics is my new game now um, every, every time you make something ceramics it's like you do a little kind of um, you collect a new Pokemon or that's the same feeling or you um, either when you make something really good you just like finding a shiny um, or even just just making it like a saving point in your life or career like this this is the moment where this is the item that i made or this is a pot or ceramic piece that looks like a pokemon um here's the benchmark where i'm gonna move on from that's what i consider nowadays you know, again, that whole timelessness of ceramics, again, it is like a save mark or checkpoint save point in your life. Wow. So philosophical, man. Um, <laughs> getting old, Danny, getting old. You're not that much older than me, don't worry. Oh, I'm 28, by the way. Um, but I keep telling oh, people man. I'm 30 because I forget. No, you, you, you haven't hit 30 yet. When you hit 30, you realize you forgot your age. That's what so you're not into the games. Are you? What are your favorite cartoons? Um, Rick and Rick and Morty. Uh, but I still read a lot of manga. I watch a bit of manga here and there. 
um, One Piece, um, Naruto, all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I still live in a fantasy world. You know, my, my, you know, I'm trying to not be as serious as I should be, but obviously, as I grow older, I should be a bit more considerate and more serious. But um, you know, in, at heart, I'm still that kid who, you know, uh, wants to time travel, want to find friends, I want to like collect stuff. Um, you, know, you, you can't lose that, and I think that's always inside you. And every time I watch a cartoon, especially anime or cartoon stuff like that, um, Studio Ghibli, you know, that's that's a big trigger for me. Uh, that's one of the things that um, resonates a lot. Um, you know, when I watch this kind of stuff, it brings me back to that childhood, you know, the innocence of one, rather than nowadays. Oh God, you know, there's another war, there's poverty, so much going on, people killing each other, uh, people fighting over this and that. Um, it's a lot. So having um, cartoon really helps. No, I'm glad that you have an outlook. Outlet, not outlook. Um, but yeah, no, it's super nice. Uh, so what I'm hearing is that orange is your favorite color at this rate. <laughs> because you're in orange right now. You wear your Dragon Ball Z shirt a lot. And Naruto is orange. That's a good, that's really true. Maybe. I, the, the strange thing is I've got like seven Dragon Ball Z t-shirts and then one is Creature of Habit. So I, I always wear the same thing, but slightly different. So we enough, they're all Dragon Ball T, Z t-shirts with um, the emblem on the side of where, say, this polo logo is, or and then the massive logo in the back. Um, but they're all different because one will be Krillin's one, one will be like Goku's, Yamcha's, and Master Roshi's. But unless you're Asian and you know what it says, you know, you assume they're the same. Because there are like, oh, some little scribbles um, or so. Um, you know, obviously some people don't. Um, yeah, I it. never realized they were different either, so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I've got about seven of them. And I always wear them into the studio. And people are like, Nam, do you ever wash your clothes? I'm like, yeah, this, this is a different one. It's like, <laughs> it's a totally different one. Um, yeah, or orange is actually pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. It's so right. And I just realized, um, for those who are listening, um, Danny's wearing a blue with a orange or red um, polo t-shirt. Um, I am. Shirt. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite, I think. I'm, I've got orange and blue. Um, my mom has a blue logo, orange, orange polo. Which is we'll take a screenshot totally later, people, and we'll <laughs> show you later. Um, but, yeah, no, we're in reverse clothes right now. Uh, but, that's, but that's a really good that's really good um, work in that color thing. I, I always assumed my colors were um, blue and yellow, which was, um, I, that's what the colors that used to attract me when I tried to do color matching. But orange, it was never in the picture. So weird. Yeah, I do wear it every day, or I do think about it, and it's bright, and I do like it. <laughs> Thanks, <Aww. Sam. laughs> Look at that, people. I'm helping with, like, life revelations here. Oh, look at that. Uh, I don't Whatever. This isn't about me. This is about you. Um, <laughs> okay, that wasn't so... about me. That's about me liking orange. <laughs> True. Uh, okay, so you're also in the pop culture, you said. 
what significant pop culture events do you find and treasure as if you're so into pop culture? Um, as in pop culture and any pop culture? Or like- yeah, like what are the moments that make you like, ooh? Oh god! Um, when this is, how, this is gonna show how old I am. It's like when Spirit Spirits of the Way came out. <laughs> um, that was like, damn! This is like being accepted now. Like you know, people are watching anime, and you're not considered um, weird or like you know, um, oh, Hobbit. In this, um, Lord of the Rings um, when that came out. Uh, you know, um, when Dragon Ball Z turned to Dragon Ball GT. You're like, damn, we don't need to wait for, you know, Carter Netflix or like that stuff to come out anymore. Wait a whole week for it. Um, yeah. Or when I, I think I base a lot of my character or myself um, on uh, characters from anime and I try to live by the morals as well. Like, um, <laughs> Whose Nindo are you living? Uh, I'm trying to live a, like at a moment, and there's a bit of like a mishmash of like Luffy. So I see my studio as my ship, and the people that come in are my nakamas, my crewmates, and um, uh, and it's great because I've always been this kid who I never really cared about responsibilities, and I don't really care about what I eat or how I get my food. Like I don't like if I don't have food, I don't eat. If I get loads of food, I'll eat a lot. Um, I, I love buffets, but now I'm having more responsibilities. I, I have a whole company to run and you're like, damn. And knowing the right friends and trusting the right friends and seeing, um, it's so crazy how it relates. So seeing where the world of ceramic is and how, all the older generation and how they're kind of just stopping the younger generation or the mid generation like myself from succeeding because it's such a, a kind of, it's very like guarded the world of pottery because you know um you don't want these uh, people like myself who come from a lower background and succeeding and doing great in pottery when pottery should be a middle class activity um own, only made for leasure and, and re- revered for the uh, upper class um you know um, being held down and realizing that every time i go into the studio it's a i need to represent myself I need to fight for the studio. I, I need to be that representative of my ship. Um, I need to be the captain and steer it right. And all, all these foes that I seek, um, yeah, I'm trying to make them friends instead of enemies. Like I'm, I'm trying to unite all the pottery studios in London at the moment, underneath a banner and the Pottery Alliance after watching Star Wars so much as a kid. Um, try and create an alliance, and then there's we're, we're like the rebels, and everyone else is like, no, you shouldn't create an alliance because everyone should be like, um, you know, you should be all for yourself, and everyone's trying to take their own chunk of the pie. And I'm like, no, guys, we create an alliance. You know, at least we'd be one like unified pottery assembly, and we can all like talk to each other rather than fight each other. It's, it's crazy. But so Luffy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. If I did art, I would send you a cool Luffy thing, but I feel like it'd pale. You went to art school. I'm not that talented. Uh, 
But, okay, so actually this is a good place to slide in the commercial. So, hey, everyone, we have commercials here. So, Geek Therapeutics wants you to feel like the superhero who defeated the villain in your favorite comic book. Imagine what it's like to be in an anime character's shoes. Feel proud during the instant you raised your arms in victory after conquering a Dungeons & Dragons quest. And cherish the moment you hugged your teammates after winning that eSports tournament. They want you to use geek culture and its artifacts such as video games, anime, fan fiction, comic books, pop culture, eSports, and tabletop RPGs to unlock the best version of yourself and others. All their crap is approved by the APA, ACE, NBCC, and every other mental health organization you could think of. At least stateside. I don't know what, what stuff's international or not, because I guess some of you guys are going to be in London listening to this. Um, and I shouldn't say crap. All their professional trainings and stuff. There's so much <laughs> stuff, guys. Like, it's so hard to keep track. Um, uh, yeah. Check them out at geektherapeutics.com. Use the special links in the description and subscribe to their awesome content and begin to learn how to mix the wonder of fun with bettering humanity. And please reach out if you have any questions, because I am, like, one of the experts on how to get through the program. Oh, my God. What was this when I was a kid? Uh, how old are they? Well, actually, they're, like, 10 years older than you. I think they were learning about, like, their own geekdom at this very... Look, I don't really know. But, yeah, See, you're it's, right. It's just, it's just like it's just like people ask you. You grew up and wanted to recreate what they wanted to live as kids. Like, that's the way it is. Yeah, and it's all approved, like I said, by every damn mental health association in America. Yeah. American Psychological Association. Like, we earn professional credits by doing it. And it adds acronyms to behind our names, everyone. Ooh, for those who are vain <laughs> like me and care. <laughs> I'm so happy Go you think it. I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I, I find it. I just laugh at being... <laughs> Wow, so I'm not funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, have you ever thought about doing stand-up, Danny? No. You, you seem you seem like someone who would be really good at stand-up. I yeah, I'll be that I'll be that you know during the stand-up comedy show, and you get that one person who like claps last and go, and everyone's like, "Who's that guy who's clapping?" That that'll be me, just for you. I'll be in the crowd watching you all the time. Okay, fine. Maybe that's what we'll do on our London tour. You'll bring me to like open mic night and I'll bomb. And, oh my God. You, and you'll you clap for me. Do it. We're planning to do open mic night in my studio soon, by the way. Oh, that's actually Pottery, super cool. pottery and open mic night. Um, just because it's a chilled atmosphere, it's a chill pottery studio, get some people in. Um, let's see how they like, two of our potters are open mic night people um, get people drunk uh, get people speaking and talking and see see where it takes and obviously try to keep it PG but if not it's pottery it's, it's, it's a crap yeah, it's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay um, you know nah I don't, we'll talk about you're this right. later right. we'll talk about it when you're in London so. <laughs> true <laughs> Uh, no, oh, by the way, I also love a buffet, so let's add that to, like, the tour of London. Ah, uh, damn. So, there's also a little Korean town, um, which I'll definitely take you to in London. It's a bit um, far away from central London, but we'll drive you there. It's a little community of Korean people. Let's say Korean people. A community of started up by Korean people, I guess. And then there's loads of little shops, um, Korean shops, supermarkets. And they do the best Korean buffets. Definitely take you there. That's one of my favorite places in London. Ooh. 
look at that guy. I'm getting insider knowledge. Um, <laughs> okay, so for those who are in London, <laughs> shout outs, love them. Uh, so you're known as Cernamic to the world. Is everybody saying that right? Yeah, it's it's just a play on Cernamics. I get a lot of um, invoices or receipts sent back to me saying that I've got a typo most of the time. Oh, okay. Um, how did you come up with that name? Um, so here goes the thing. Um, don't know if you watch Yu-Gi-Oh? Uh, yes. Right. So it was very close. It was so close. Um, my Hotmail is still Kyber Court something. Blah, blah, blah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so I was very close to um, doing either, it was going to be Pandai Ceramics or Pandai Ceramics. Um, so this was me figuring out, oh, uh, right, I'm, I'm 16. If I was to take over the world with ceramics and make a brand name for myself, what would I do? So before I even got good at ceramics, I thought, you know what? I'll just come up with a name, get the domain name, and then slowly take over the world through that idea. So I was like, right, let's do it. Um, so Kyber Court Ceramics was one of them. Um, Pandai, like Bandai. Yeah, ceramics. pun. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, these are these are just me just ripping off names from like um, all the all the shows I've been watching, or like all the anime stuff. Um, and then I was like, ceramics, like just drew it in, in the middle. And I was like, ceramics, dynamics, ceramics. And then I was like, I'll, I'll go with it. Got the um, domain name and just carried oh. on. And then got I was like, you know what? I've, I've done it now. That's it. Um, it's it's a real domain so dynamics and just I, I kind of hated it in the beginning in the beginning because I thought oh this is egotistic to have your name inside um, your company because you know, it's, it's going to show that you're showing off or whatever but then it became so the fact that it was such a play on the word that it felt a bit stupid and I, was, I can laugh at myself at it as well so I was like, yeah, let's go with it. It's not so serious that it sounds egotistic. It sounds like you have to know me to understand what the ceramics is all about. Ceramics, ceramics. <laughs> exactly, Danny. No, actually, so that's the thing. I have a horrible time picking names. So when people are picking names for things, what advice are you going to give them? Um. Go, go for what you're making. I think I make a lot of work that resonates with me. And I think you need to know me very personally. Not not too personally, but know my ethos and what I make and my 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 vibe of the studio and myself. And then um, translate that to a word. You know, it, it doesn't need to have your name, but it needs to represent you somehow. Um, so don't just write something like Dragon Ball Z, Goku, blah, blah, blah when it has nothing to do with your pottery studio. Because uh, I would have had to make a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh stuff if I went for Kyber Court. But you would. Go down that. And that's actually my <laughs> next question. Um, so everyone, so go listen to episode 26. Uh, Michael Van Kim uh, was on, a fellow Vietnamese guy. But he Ooh. his favorite Yu-Gi-Oh card is the Pot of Greed. So I'm wondering, have you ever made the Pot of Greed? No, but I, I know of it. Um, I always wanted to always make a blue eyed white dragon. Uh, is it white? No, blue eyes white dragon. Yeah. Yeah, it's blue eyes um, white. Yeah. Um, no, 
I need to at some point. I need to start digging into the Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. Um, I tried to make um, Yu-Gi-Oh once, but his hair was really hard. Like you'll see it soon. There's a whole collection I'm making, and it's very manga based. Because um, I'm going back to that. Um, there's a lot of uh, manga slash um, craft based stuff, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, I need to start working on some Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. Um, what was the thing that every time you killed it, it kept on? Um, Cloning. Karibo? That's the one. I need I wanted to make some Karibos. I have not watched Yu-Gi-Oh everyone in like friggin' 15 <laughs> years. I don't know how I knew that. You was on that. You hey, just uh, you were on that. I was like Karibo. <laughs> um What there you go. What's what's the magician's name? Like, the Dark magician? One. Oh my there you go. Well that, that one was easy. That's like the <laughs> Someone get get Danny onto a quiz show about you guys. Oh, I thought you were going to say a quiz show in general. I was like, I don't think I could be the bitch on the quiz show, but... <laughs> you could be. You can be like, I'm not answering that question. That's dumb. I was like, get out. <laughs> no, but, but what if there's money involved and I do want to win? <laughs> That's true. What, what happened? Oh. <laughs> Why don't you make a competition? You could host it. No, I, I think I'll be too boring. I, th I think I would be that guy who, the funny guy like yourself, would go to, and then I'll be like the, the neutral guy who's like, you know, who, who slows down the pace. And then, you know, um, do you know Ricky Gervais? I'm sure you guys do. Yeah. He's fairly bigger. Yeah, he, he's, got, he's got a silent partner called Steve Merchant. Tall, six foot seven, six foot nine guy. He writes all the jokes for him and stuff, but he's always silent. He's always on the side. I'll be that guy for you. I'll be your yeah, yeah, like like the wing person who stands on the side. And goes, yeah, you go for it, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I need, people. Yeah, like um, or, or else it would just be you standing on on the platform. And you're like, oh, it's a bit awkward. But you need that guy who kills the silence, and I'll be happy to be that guy. I'll be like, just blame them. It's like, yeah. It's like, it's always just blame them. Yeah, why not? Didn't do nothing wrong. I'm sure there's a pun we can make with our names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, figure, we'll figure it out. Um, how, how come you ask about the name thing? Do, do, do people like think about ideas during during these podcasts? About oh, you know, I want to think about a company name and Dan, Danny. Uh, so Danny I also write on my spare time, and I've been trying to figure out a pseudonym for writing for like over a decade. Nothing has stuck. Oh. So it's just something I'm always thinking about because I'm like, I have so many fake names and like fake accounts, places. Uh -huh, people, you'll never know if I'm really me. Thank God. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, Kariba. <laughs> that's copywritten. <laughs> so, yeah, I just got to figure life out. But, no, yeah, again, this is about you, not me. So you're British Vietnamese. That's super cool. Yeah, I think so. Um, I never, never had many Vietnamese friends. To be honest with you, and more Hong Kong, Chinese, few Japanese friends, Korean. But it's weird in America. I don't know if you've gone to California or not. Also, there's a I've lot of Vietnamese LA. that went. Yeah, a lot of Vietnamese went to America, and you know how Vietnam has South and North. Yep. Um, a lot of the South people, where I was born, Ho Chi Minh, Saigon, when I was like a kid, and I came to London when I was three, 
my parents decided to go to London instead of the nice sunny places like Australia, um, America, California, LA. No, we went to like London. It's like where a lot of the North Vietnamese um, went to. And it was really strange to try to be friendly to them, to them guys. Um, there is a lot of few Vietnamese people in, in London. It's quite a population here. Um, just they're, they're a bit more reserved and not as um, open up as, as other Vietnamese are. Probably because we don't get much sunshine, you know, we're like, oh man, he's Vietnamese. Or maybe because we look so in between Asian yeah, that no one knows, are you Vietnamese? Should I talk to you in Vietnamese? Because yeah. um, in my school, I think there was only like one Vietnamese person, my being to me. And then on the year above, there was another Vietnamese person, but we never talked because it was always awkward. It felt like we should talk because we're both Asian. We didn't want to do. We didn't want to talk because we're the only Asian. Either it was that awkward moment, and I was like, "Oh, that's, that's like." But then no, we that, became friendly after school. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, no, I was in the same boat. I was like, I didn't want to be stereotyped and only having these friends because most <laughs> of my schools, uh, we were like what two percent of the school, according to like all the data they collect, and also like you know stereotypes. We were talking about you were talking about it earlier. Uh, a lot of them were like first gen, very quiet, very reserved. And technically, while I am first gen and the immigrant at the same time, it's crazy because adoption's crazy. But um, now nah, I was just super me. And I was always like, look, you guys are cool. We're going to sit in the library. We're going to talk about our food. But I'm also going to go fight like someone in a minute. So I know you're not going to want to be near me then. <laughs> wow. Not physical fighting. I don't condone physical condone physical violence. Everyone, it was all my mouth. I have a big mouth. Nah, you you, you sound you sound like a um, talkative guy. I'm sure you, sure you you can you can talk your way out stuff. Um, okay. It's like in out around. <laughs> yeah, uh, God, it's it, it's tough. And is is it getting easier in America? Is there, is there more Asian people in schools or depends is, where you live. Yeah. Oh right, same same here in the UK, I guess. That's, uh, yeah, I guess we're a bit smaller in size wise, so um, and also we're a small island, not easy to travel around to. I'm from Long Island and New York; those are islands too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always like to point that yeah. out to people because <laughs> until I moved to DC, I was always on an island. But is is island? You know, I need to Google Maps at some point. <laughs> is, are they fairly big? I would say no, but I mean, they're not tiny. Uh, I don't know. You know what? <laughs> Someone that knows geography, if you want to come on and like fact check Nam and I, you're more than welcome to reach out at the shape of a star podcast at gmail.com at the shape of a star podcast, or look us up on Twitter at the shape of a star. Cause podcasts couldn't fit. <laughs> yeah. We, we need like, I think with anything like someone like me or so someone in America, if someone's talking, we need someone who knows geography, the time zones. Oh my God, that's so true. We couldn't figure out the time that, zones. That would be great. Exactly. We need someone, geography, time zones, and perhaps cultural facts as well. So that you can like fact check us just in the background. You know, that should be a job. Someone should have that in the corner. Like, you can hire this person and they'll be like, no, no, Long Island is just literally half the size of like London, you know, give or take, um, something like that. Um, or like, oh uh, no. You're in London, so in Washington, it's about four hours different, we assume. 
that would have been the case. Was it four hours? <laughs> oh. uh, actually, it is. Okay, so according to... Wait, what? Oh, that's so confusing. Oh my God. I'll say, so I Googled it real fast. The size of the United Kingdom compared to New York, like the whole state apparently, I guess. I don't know how this works. You know what? I'm not even going to go there, people. Uh, point is, yeah, someone fact-checked us and let us know. Um, Wait, is, is New York bigger than like the UK? Apparently not, but I'm so confused by that. Like, let me Google. Let me go to Wikipedia. That's easier. Long Island. Yeah, because this is <laughs> this is what the people wanted to know. Hey, people um, are holding their breath. I'm saying that right now. They're, they're, I'm holding my breath. I'm like, you want the whole UK the or England specifically? Give me the whole UK. Just give me. The- okay. So Long Island itself is. 3,564 square kilometers. The UK is 93,600. No, that's miles. Sorry. Oh, Oh, no. The UK is (laughs) 242,495 square kilometers. Sorry, they switched what was like the first one for us and you because we use miles usually. So. So yeah, you're bigger by like yeah. We're three thousand. You are nine hundred and something thousand. No, two hundred forty-two thousand. So yeah, wow. we're good. Bye. Yeah, you would never know. Stupid globes and maps. Um. Uh, but yeah, I'm always welcome across the pond. Okay, yeah, pop by. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. If you ever are in stateside, let me know. Sure, the state sides are like hours and hours apart, but you never know. I'll totally show you around. But could happen. we're here. For, could happen. We're here for you, not me. So, first question up about you being British Vietnamese is because we didn't even start any of the questions. We just started talking. Is <laughs> do you speak Vietnamese? Yeah. Did you have to go to Sunday school for Cantonese or Chinese by chance? Wow, you're one of the few people that knew it would be Cantonese and not Mandarin. Uh, no. <laughs> So my parents are mixed and my mom didn't want to have to drive me to like wherever to go because we had, we'd have to leave Long Island and go into New York city. And she's like, I'm not driving to the city every weekend. Uh, <laughs> so see, I did not have to go to Chinese school. But there was an option of that, right? Oh, it was there. Uh, see, I, I, I unfortunately, again, London's tiny. Um, my one was only 30 minutes away by walking and oh. I was marched there every freaking Sunday. And I was like, oh, God damn it. Like, why am I here? It's, I've just had school Monday to Friday. Give me a break. Uh, yeah, I can speak Vietnamese. Um, apparently, when I went to Vietnam a few years ago, my speaking and reading is equivalent to a five-year-old or 10-year-old, I think. <laughs> um, but if I say it really slow, it could go up to a 13-year-old, according to my cousin. Um, well, look at that. <laughs> Instead of speaking really fast, I'm like, oh, oh you're a good English. You're a good person to ask this. So I have a friend who's Vietnamese. She actually also immigrated over to America when she was eight ish, eight, nine. Um, and she says that Cantonese and Vietnamese sound so similar to her. What is your take on that? That's a good question. Um, one, uh, does she know Cantonese? No, but she had friends that knew that were Cantonese and they would speak it around her. And she's like, that sounds so similar. Yeah, I think, I think um, 
in Cantonese, I think you've also got accents, right? So you've got ma, ma, uh, your tone, yeah. same thing in Vietnamese. And I think that's only um, that's one of the things that we have in common. But um, to be honest, I used to lot, watch a lot of Cantonese films, um, like Stephen Chow is one of my favorite act actor. Um, um, and I used to watch a lot of Hong Kong, like the, the vampire ghost films and whatnot as mm -hmm. a kid. Um, and you know when you used to do um, lion dancing? You know, really? Stuff they, do, they do in the New Year's, like, you know, yeah. lion head. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I only did it because I watched Jet Li. <laughs> and like, um, and then a few times, you know, when they, they filmed it, like, in the Hong Kong era where they would fight with the lion head. Um, and I was like, I want to do that. And I got into that. And there needs to be the butt person. It needs to carry the person on top of my head. Uh, but no, it doesn't sound like it's Hong Kong. Um, just trying to think really hard. No, um, to me, Hong like Cantonese sounds like Cantonese, <laughs> and Vietnamese <laughs> sounds like Vietnamese. It's, it's okay. hard. It's like yeah, I'm trying to find a relationship. Maybe she's right. I don't, I don't want to say she's wrong, but I don't understand Cantonese. So, but I watch a lot of it, and it doesn't sound anything like Vietnamese. Um, I guess. And that's your take. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she doesn't sound Cantonese. And she's like, now, now I'm chatting crap. <laughs> True. I'm so lost on the fact that you did lion dancing. Like, is there a school you went to? Like, how did you get into that? Like, you told me why you got into it, but like, how on earth did you start, like, learning? Oh, man, they, they are really, like, secretive with this whole crap lion dancing, you know? Like, they did not want to teach this. Uh, if you, the only reason why it was hard for me because I did mixed martial arts. Like I did a bit of Muay Thai, then Jiu Jitsu, yeah. and then cage fighting. And then I I didn't believe in Kung Fu because like, I thought, all right, it's great. It's a form of martial art, but I, I'm not going to practice it because there's other martial arts I would like prefer to follow. Yeah. And then you, ha you have to do Kung Fu to do line dancing. And I went to all these, like, there was like a London Shaolin kind of Kung Fu place. I knocked on the door. You can imagine this. I'm like, the kid going, oh, um, can I can I go in and do some line dancing? They're like, no. How many years have you done Kung Fu? I was like, none. I've done I've done kickboxing and cage fighting. I can I'm sure I can physically do this. They're like, nah, we don't trust you with our secret. I'm like, what secret? Like, I, I'm gonna be. I just want to be in the lion head. Let me be in this lion head and shake it about. <laughs> and they were like, no, you need to like um, be a part of our association. You need to be here for at least two years. I'm like, fine, I'll just go somewhere else. I was like Google searches. I went into a rabbit hole. I felt like I could have learned hacking by the time I found a gym that would take me. And then I just, I just found this guy who's really nice. His name's Vincent. Um, check him out. He's in London. He's called KSK um uk lion dancing and he was the first guy who, who who wasn't like asian but he was very open to like me learning it he was like right and he wouldn't charge me super cool he was like i'm, I'm gonna teach you it um but um whatever we do um you're just gonna have to help me promote the lion thing and um just participate and I was like, i'm in like just get me in this i'll do whatever you want me to do um, I'll break my back. Um, we can do it. Um, you know, I just want to just want to experience 
this whole thing and this cultural thing. And from watching Jet Li and stuff like that, it it slowly um, translated to I didn't I didn't look for this line dance head thing because I wanted just to be like Jet Li because that's boring. I don't want to fight. I just wanted to be part of my culture because um, they do it a lot in Vietnam as well. Yeah, I know they do it a lot in Hong Kong, and I was like, it's a part of our culture, and I want to just like um, to do it because I felt like I missed out on something when I came to the UK as a British kid, and all these British kids are like going to Chinatown and going, oh, what are they doing? These line heads, or like l- jumping around, acting stupid, and I, I always thought in my head, oh, that's super cool, like I want to do that, but you know, where where do I go? And as an adult, I luckily found a place and um, carried on. I became the butt, by the way, so I was the backside, um, which I don't mind because the front side, you would have to do most of the routine, whereas the backside, um, you just got to lift the person up once in a while in your head, bang, the butt sits on your head and you got to wriggle around. Uh, yeah, they kicked me off the drums because I was really bad at music. I couldn't do the drum thing. <laughs> so I was like, now I'm your shit, just, just go in the back. Um, you're too old for that stuff now. Um, I wish I started younger and... Uh, yeah, if if I can influence any younger generation of Asian, uh, I would t- definitely tell them look very closely into cultural stuff like that, um, which we, we can inherit if we, if we do keep practicing it. Um, and it's sad that we don't. Yeah. Well, I was too scared of the fireworks and the drums, so I was never going to do that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but... Hey, you, you're missing out. You would have loved it. We're, we're not allowed those fireworks, by the way in the uk you guys have um there's little crackers right little... yeah the firecrackers the ones that like do, 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 off yeah yeah that's that's the that's illegal in the uk you know i'm not surprised uh <laughs> but sensible yeah okay so how do you see the two cultures blending like your vietnamese side and your british side to create your unique world perspective um i think definitely um There, there, there is growing up here is it's strange. It's, it, I, I understand that there's a lot of cultural stuff I have to accept in in the UK, uh, and it has the the way that I act outside my parents' house to where um, to when I'm inside as well. It's totally different as well. Um, the whole culture, you know, there's being respectful and you know, all that stuff. Um, that's still it's still deep roots in me. Um, and I treat everyone with respect, um, you know, wherever they want. And I believe in, I, my, my parents are Buddhist and I don't become, I'm not religious, but I definitely believe in karma. Um, especially when I'm doing pottery, because the wheel always comes around again on the pottery wheel. Um, so that's deep, that's deep ingrained in me. And I'm always believing in being nice and respectful. But, um, and I think the British culture has made me, um, you know, to that point where you're you're subtly nice, <laughs> um, British. It's very hard. And um, here's, here's the thing: the other day, um, I went to Chinatown to go get a haircut because no one in in, in London, um, any British barber will cut my hair because they complain it's too spiky and it gives them splinters. Yep, the hair splinters. Yeah. So I go to Chinatown, so they don't complain. But I go to Chinatown and they can't understand me. Um, so I go to Chinatown, cause they, but they don't understand me. So I, I, I try to point out stuff that I want to be done. And then um, 
the other day I was like, right, can you, um, I, I don't know if you guys need the system, um, the blade system. So you got blade one is the shortest, blade two, blade three um, on the side. And so you can do a fade. Um, I, I, had a, I, I had some long hair the other day and um, I told them, um, please don't cut my hair too short. Um, blade three is fine. Um, so I point out number three and they were cutting it. And then I did the thumbs up sign, which apparently means one. Oh, I was like, yeah, that's great. Just do number one. Um, and she just cut my hair really short. And as British as you can get, I just stood there and went, oh, no. Um, yeah, let's just go with it. <laughs> so I didn't complain. I was like, yeah, I'm going to grip my teeth. And then um, at the end of the haircut, they show you your hair with the, the mirror in the background. And you're like, yeah, great. Good job. Great haircut. I'm going to go now. I'm grip my teeth and walk away, um, and yeah, it, it, it was it was a fine okay, okay haircut, but I wasn't happy with it. Um, I was and, like, we have the same haircut. Don't say too much shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know what's the funny thing? It's happened like three times already, and I'm I'm never happy with the haircut because I they always make kind of mistakes. But I always go back to the same person <laughs> just because. I hate being like, uh, I don't want to blame them. I want, I want to give them a second chance. Oh, you know, it might not be their fault. You might, might have had a bad day. So that British demeanor of like being nice is always there as well. But um, it, for me, it's respect and to be nice um, is two things. Um, but as a grown up now, I realize that um, there are times when I'm learning to stand my ground a lot more. Um, I used to be a, a big pacifist where um, I hate confrontation, I hate um, argument. Um, so for me, it's always tricky. Like, hence I, I told you, I mentioned that I, I'm, I need to be well, I'm sorry, I'm an introvert where I kind of close myself in quite a lot and do my own pottery. And that's why my students, my pottery studio in London is really fun for me because it attracts people who come into this place and the energy that attracts them. And these are the right people I want to be around me, they're, they're there to find themselves and they like the energy that the studio and myself create and they hang around there. If they don't, the cool thing about the studio is that people will just repel themselves. It's got like an aura around the studio. When you come in, you're like, either go, oh my God, this studio is awesome. It's got plants, it's got a fish tank in it. It's got um, Pokeballs, it's got anime. It's got like swords everywhere, um, Star Wars, action figures. Like, and it's got pop. Okay, that's strange. What's this about? Or it repels you. You go, oh my god, why is there pot? Why is there um, little ch children toys on the shelves and saws everywhere? And they leave it. And you know, it it's my kind of hidden zone. And it's just you know a place where I've I've learned to be nice as a kid. And you know, that that's what the kind of culture grew me up to be. Oh, that's so nice. And I don't know. I love hearing about it. You make your own space if there's no space for you kind of deal and shebang. Which is also mm. a perfect like answer to the original question about blending your two cultures into a new world perspective is that you just created your studio and that's also your vibe perspective and all that. So good job, Nam. Bringing it full around. Thanks, <laughs> Danny. Um, okay, so another fun question I like to ask is so I'm adopted and I lost my British claim when I was adopted to America. 
So what's something that you feel I should know about being British or British culture? Um, I mean, just tough chin in the sense of you, you're, you're very good at taking crap um, and you can either be really nice to them or you can let shit go or be really great at rebuttaling. Um, those are the three kind of British um, people that comes out from this culture, I think. So, so as mentioned, like um, I just grip my teeth and walked away after having a bad haircut. Or you can be like, all right, God, that's a shitty haircut. Like, give me a better one. Or you can, you know, just walk away. It's, uh, I don't think you miss much. Um, I think, you know, we as the British people um, need to learn to be better ourselves. And we're not superior. And I, I, I get annoyed when people say, oh, you're from the UK. This is, you know, this is where it all began. Like, mm, I wouldn't say that. Um, you haven't missed much. Um, Danny, I would say <laughs> you're probably doing way more better than we are in the UK. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that are very backwards here. Um, and there are a lot more forward stuff happening in the real world um, than here. Well, um, the only thing that you're missing out on is, I think, um, and maybe not, you know, um, the, the London culture, where I think it's a community of people like you and me who are like um, just. Um, creatives and young young Asians who are like different um, and just a mix of culture and it, it allows you to be different um, and that's the fun part about it uh, but I'm sure that's happening everywhere in the world um, there's little kind of islands of that everywhere yeah I actually ended up living in one I never expected to live in a little island of Asian culture but like yeah <laughs> I'm, well I'm not technically in it I'm 10 minutes away in a car in it from it but like holy cow like uh, yeah, people just, I ended up there and holy cow, what a new perspective. What, what uh, was that? Uh, <laughs> I'm not doxing myself. I'll tell you later. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but okay. So actually you already answered this. The next question, what's something people don't know about you in secret hobbies? Uh, you did lion dancing. You have fish. Okay. What kind of fish you got? Uh, I, I started breeding copies again. Um, Cause I love guppies. They, they, they grow very they easy. Um, I used to have loads of fantail goldfish. And then also had some um, balloon goldfish as well. The one got big balloons um, on the side. Um, but I, yeah, I'm rounding down a bit because I've got, also got three dogs at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot to look after. Um, oh. So, you can probably hear them in the background. I don't know. Can you hear them in the background? Oh, I can hear them, but it's okay. Uh, uh, but I'm about to throw a slipper at him in a bit. <laughs> nah. Okay. So literally straight up before I like hopped on here to like chat with you, I was looking up. So four of my guppies gave birth uh, between Tuesday and Friday last week. So I have like 16 oh, nice. babies floating around. Nice. Yes. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I only have 20 gallons. I don't need this many. So, but one of the ones that was like a month old now, He's starting to get blue. And I was like, oh my God, he's so pretty. It's like a turquoise blue. And I was like, oh. Oh, wow. I put him in a separate tank so he'd be safe. Uh, <laughs> so I'm worried he's lonely. Anyways, things you think about when you breed guppies, people. Yeah, but you can also buy a guppy breeding box. Yeah, but like, no, it, you don't like it's that. sad in the box. Like, I have a three gallon. Actually, I'll send you photos later. Okay, people. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, straight up. Like, oh. 
Anyways, so back oh, to man, you. You you, de- you definitely have Asian roots if you're breathing guppies. <laughs> um. Well, I actually don't know. Is that true? Asian? That's, that's, I, well, the only reason why I'm breathing them because a lot of my memories are in Vietnam, where you know. So um, I don't know if you do it in America. Do you put um, heaters in your um, in your fish tank to grow yep. tropical fish? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to do that. But say if you was in Vietnam. Um, they just find any little jars, like, all little plastic bags, and they just throw some guppies in there, and they just, like, that's that's your tank. And I'm like, that is amazing. Um, you, anything you can put a guppy in is a tank. And yeah, I was so fascinated um, when I was a kid, and I was like, this is, I I just want to be a guppy grower. That's, that's literally my, my life. Um, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to Maybe show you all my guppy photos. Um, oh my god, I'm in. <laughs> I have, I'm in. No one cares about my damn guppies except for me. Um, <laughs> okay, so you, you have a common interest. <laughs> we have a lot of common interests. We could literally be BFFs. <laughs> could be. <laughs> uh, so, you told me that London is a smaller place than people realize, which I believe. So. My question for you is, have you encountered any celebrities? Um, yeah, there, there's a few of them that um, pop in and out. And I think some of them even, I actually don't know if they were even celebrities before they even got to the studio. Um, the studio. But yeah, you're right, Danny. London is a tiny place and somehow you end up meeting everyone. And I think that's a lot of like movie stars just wandering around. And, like we had Roman Kemp come in with his girlfriend at a time, and then he came in and made some Pokemon with Bear Brick with me. And there was another time when he came in by himself and made some more pots, just because he wanted to relax and chillax. And then the other um, fun thing was um, one of the actor from Stranger Things, um, I forgot his name, but um, he he came into the podcast on the weekend with just the general public, and I I was unaware of who it was because I'm I, I suck at TV stuff. I um, don't watch Stranger Things either, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, there's gonna be haters now. There's gonna be loads of people like just, just they're gonna click off right now. They're gonna be like, I'm out. Like, um, so there was an actor from Stranger Things, um, one of the brothers, I think, one of the main actors, came in with the general public, did a did a workshop with me, and I think. Was we were teaching him, half the students were like very in awe, and I was like, ah, you know, how about I do some pottery? Come on, let's finish up, let's go home. And then at the end of the class, he left, and then one of the assistant went, no, that was right. I was like, who? Like the oh, that guy from Stranger Things. Um, and I was like, uh, never watched it, don't know, don't kind of care. Um, but um, they do research it, and he was. You know, one of the main actors, and I was, oh, that's awesome. But the cool thing is that um, he then contacted us and went, "Hi guys, I really like the product class the other day. I found it really calming." I got um, uh, email from um, GQ magazine, and they were like, "Oh, we want to do an advert, um, uh, interview with you. Can we um, do it at your pottery studio?" Because they also had the option of going to a, a virtual um, cafe bar or something and he chose the pottery where he came to like a week ago and he was like yeah um can we do it here we'll book the whole studio out um 
you can teach us one to one and we'll just talk about about his new films and stuff and i was like yeah why not um and it's really nice because he put after the gq magazine came out um the interview he actually mentioned our studio which was really nice because um you know we thought he, they used us as a venue um for the magazine but he mentioned us and it was a really cool thing don't know if we can mention his name but i, I forgot um but um it, the the gq magazine uh, um interviews online somewhere and he mentioned dynamics and i said that lame quote that um the interviewer kind of wrote down i was like oh my god kill me um um but i think it was like the clay will wait for you questions can you wait for the clay um, but you know nowadays a lot of celebrities are picking up pottery like um you might read um in some of the news articles like serena williams brad pitt um he's been watching the program apparently as well oh um yeah he, apparently there was a check out charlie heaton yeah, that's the guy, Charlie Heaton. Come back and collect your damn pottery, Charlie. <laughs> oh my God, you still have it? Up. Yeah, should we auction it off? Should we just like do an auction off? I don't know. <laughs> you might be invited to the set of Stranger Things if you try and reach out and be like, we'll bring it. Uh, <laughs> nah, they, they don't want me to. Because I'm just around the pocket. But for your viewers, if Charlie doesn't come back in three weeks' time, we've still got his pots. We're going to get rid of them some way. So... Maybe we'll think about gifting them to you, Danny. Today is Digimon Day, August 1st. Um, remember, oh, this airs just just... This airs on November 1st, so three weeks will have long passed by then. Ah, damn. Still could send them to you. I'll, I'll, I'll take you. them. Whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, for those who don't know, I'm gifting Danny a Pokeball. Woo! For being so nice. <laughs> I invite some random bitch on my show and they give me presents apparently that's how this works people <laughs> yeah it, it, i i think you know with, us giving you stuff it's like you giving us your time during the podcast oh yeah. yeah. thank so, you that's a that's a way to think about it also by the way apparently london is 372 square miles while new york is 315 so you're bigger than new york city not that big though, considering it's oh, yeah, okay. it's like not a 60 big. square mile difference. I don't yeah. know what that converts to, but whatever. Okay, so look at that. I, I, yeah, God, that's cool. I thought yeah. New York was way bigger. It, yeah, no, New York is tiny. It's the movies, it gets me. It's like watching too many movies. It's, it might be yeah. taller because <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of tall buildings. True, true. Spider-Man does fly around everywhere there. So. True. And you know what? Like, I have a whole thing about Spider-Man and how inaccurate those buildings are, but whatever. <laughs> um, any hoosers. So, yeah, there endeth the main question portion. So, now we're moving into rapid fire, which oh, God, no one ever enters fast. So, do not worry. <laughs> uh, go for it. Okay. Uh, question uh. number one. What are your chosen coping skills? Um, I run to my studio, I, um, um, I've got ADHD, so I start to pick up stuff or start touching stuff or kind of, um, I look away and talk and people assume I'm ignoring them, but I'm actually trying to focus quite a lot. All right. Um, oh, <laughs> you are the right age for this question. T 
Team Edward or Jacob? Oh, God. Uh, Jacob, the, um, the werewolf, right? Yep. Yeah, Team Jacob. Why Team Jacob? Because he's a werewolf. And he, and he runs, runs around and takes off his t-shirt. And, like, no. It's cool. <laughs> okay. Um, what direction should you cut your sandwich? Um, horizontal. So you get two triangles. Is that right? Wait, if you're cutting it horizontal, wouldn't it be just like two squares? Oh, uh, no. What's the diagonal then? Diagonal? Oh, yeah, diagonal. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what direction should you fold your napkin? Diagonal? <laughs> okay. Uh, it sorry. I keep having to flip between the tabs between you and the questions. What gift would you want to get from a fairy? Uh, a time portal to go into manga world. <laughs> okay, so here's not a rapid fire question, but a question I love to ask everyone that's in the anime and manga. <laughs> if you were to get isekai where are you going? Oh, shit. Um, damn. Uh, isekai. If I get maybe like um the fire village from where like avatar avatar okay yeah oh so you're fire nation no it is a fire village right no yeah the spirit of fire that's what they call it wait from what the leaf the, no shit sorry it's the leaf village i'm not fire village. It's the oh okay fire. The, that's the yeah village. it's in the land of fire and the hidden leaf village that, sorry yes Oh my god, sorry about that. Kind you could have just said Konoha. <laughs> True, I could have said Konoha, son of a... It's too far. It's too fast, Daddy. These questions are way too fast for this time of night time. Okay, well, don't worry. We're, we're getting there. Left or right Twix? Uh, left. Because I'm left-footed. Oh, cool. No, What's a trend sense. that went too far? Um, oh... God, in a sad way, um, I don't approve of it. Um, do you guys have slap happy slaps? In no, what is that? Oh God, yeah. But for those who, um, there was a trend in the UK where these stupid kids went on buses and then they started slapping people and recording it, and then it got a bit too absurd, and the police and people weren't happy with it. I wouldn't blame anyone. I'd be pissed if some kid slapped me. Yeah, freaking. Uh, Freaking kids. Oh. Okay, what is one thing you would eliminate from life? Uh, money. Going back to the barter system. Okay. Um, oh, here's a good one. Who would play you in a documentary slash movie about your life? Oh, man. That was a really good question. Um, what's that? Um, who's that actor in the the um, the ring? The recent one, Asian guy, really famous guy, American like, actor. Come on, like the horror movie, The Ring. No, The Ring was in like the the Marvel. Come on, oh, you know. oh Simu Liu. Yeah. Okay. Now, what what was that? 
What was that convenience store shop he was on? The Kim's. Kim's his friend. Yeah, his friend who's a bit lame, that guy. He'll play me. Okay. It's, not him, not the main actor, but the main, like, one of the lame guys. Got it. Um, I, I don't know his name either, so everyone yeah, else, guy, you guys that, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what genre would that movie slash documentary be? Mm, I think uh, a bit historical, a bit action. Nice. Uh, no, that's super cool. You're the first person to say action. Um, if you oh, stick to like, this, oh god. No, no, no. Okay. Go for it. If you stick to the status quo, which click would you be in? Uh, as in geek. Also, is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, matter of fact, I was captain of the chess club through primary school and secondary school. So, hanged out in there with my teachers a lot. Oh, look at that! And it carried through through college because you asked all the questions all the snooty kids weren't asking, and look where it yeah, led. Yeah, that that was more being annoying, but yeah, <laughs> that's. Look at this. We're seeing Nam's whole life story right now. Okay, so <laughs> what click should you have been in high school? Um, I, th I think I was in the geek geek click, <laughs> um, but it was fine. You know, um, I think I should have accepted I was in the geek click and never in the cool kids because I wanted to assume that I maybe could have been a cool kid. But I was happy being a geek, a nerd. I was happy with it. Then I was, I was like, why, why am I trying to reach for a higher, like, a different click when I feel comfortable with who I am? Nice. And we're at the last one. If your life was a jukebox musical, what would be the opening song? Um, Eagle Eye Cherry, Save Tonight. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Okay, let me... Say tonight, like the break of dawn, come tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be gone. Tomorrow come to take me away. You said save tonight? Yeah. Okay, cool. I loaded it on Spotify just so I could listen to it later. You know, one day, yeah. everyone, I'm probably going to make a playlist of all the songs people say. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but... Oh, there endeth the rapid fire questions. Woo! Woo! Oh my God. Very rapid. Yeah, actually, you were one of the faster ones. Okay, so do you have anything you want to share with the world or say to the world while they're listening? No, it's, it's, it's been an awesome um, podcast. And if you haven't talked to Danny, talk to him. It's, sorry, just wrestling my dog at the moment. It's trying to fight another dog. Um, it was adorable, know. everyone. Um, uh, yeah, this, I, I'm, I'm resting in a pug at the moment, and it got hit by a car recently, and it lost oh. an eye. So, but luckily, it's a black pug, so you can't really see it's missing the eye. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I think I think you're awesome to talk to, Danny. I, I wish I had someone that like you to talk to. Luckily, you know, people do have someone to talk to. It's, um, there's a lot of times. Um, people have thoughts and don't talk to no one. And I think that's wrong. I think people should definitely find someone like yourself or um, finding an outlet 
to help um, talk through stuff or just be expressive. And that's, that's, that's what I would tell people to do. Oh, and Nam, do not worry. We literally have a recorded conversation. You can't deny you don't know me or you can't deny you know me. So my DMs are always open for you. You know how to get in touch with me. And don't worry, we're gonna have a London adventure one day or you're gonna come stateside and I'm gonna take you around someplace I might not even know because there's a ton of places in America to go to. Um, Married 10 minutes away from your house. <laughs> so we'll go there. You, we could. Um, I don't know. If you were going to say, like, I'm going to go to Texas, I'm like, I've never been to Texas, but okay, let's try it. Uh, oh, my God. You've never been to Texas. Uh, I feel that's like a homage to every American. Or is that just movies? Texas is its own beast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, no, Gosh. I stayed East Coast. Um, very New York-y. I've, gone, I've been to Boston. I don't know if Boston's ever been on your radar, but yeah. It's on a few movies. It's yeah. Oh, that's a big question. A good question for you. Sorry, everyone. I'm coming up with them as we go. How much do they teach about the American Revolution? Oh <laughs> my there? God! You should ask this straight away. You should do this because then we. Otherwise, I just seem like a like ignorant like London kid. Like none. Like none. Like this. This is why. British people suck at American culture because we don't know nothing. We don't. They don't teach us about the Boston Tea Party. I actually watch some documentaries to get that into my system. They don't teach us the landmarks. They don't teach anything about. It's like they hate you guys in history. They teach us um, about weird enough. I'll tell you now, Sikh culture because they should feel bad because the British government, the British you know army and stuff um, went over to India, took over. India and forced the Sikh um, people to come work for them. Um, they teach us about um, the Romans. I guess they built some roads for us. That's um, <laughs> mainly it. Yeah, there's a lot of the teachers because they did a lot of horrible shit. Um, like Henry VIII obviously executed a lot of his wives and stuff like that. Um, but I saw nothing about America. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Nothing about America. They need to sort this shit out because I think if it, you're like our cousin, aren't you? That, that's the case. And we know nothing of you at times. It's so weird. I mean, for all we know, we literally could be cousins, though. You and I. Could, um, could be. Could be. We have got the same haircut, apparently. So. We have the same haircut, same shirt. Yeah. Uh, did you tell the, what did you tell the barber? Because I want to say one. I just go in and I just hold up a photo. And no actually, way. I have the same issue with you because I go to a Korean lady and she only speaks Korean. Well, she does speak some English, so I should say that. Like, she just isn't strong in English. So, like, we just communicate. I show photos and I'm like, do this. And she was like, got it. Actually, this, my hair is like a week away from needing a cut, too, because I like it real what short. Happened, what happens if you don't like it? Are you very verbal? Uh. <laughs> In oh, her case, no. Only because I think it's unfair. Because I'm like, look, we're tr we're playing with a language barrier here. But mm. if there is no language barrier, it's on. Oh right. Yeah. See, that's that's that might be my case. I'm like, maybe she was Chinese, and I was like, yeah, language barrier. Maybe it's my fault slightly because I can't speak Mandarin. Or you know, I'm like, oh, that's right. on me. 
And it's it's a whole situation. Like you did your, you're doing me a service. I asked you to the best of my ability to do it. So I'm not going to blame you if I like screwed up, but if I know, you know what I'm saying, it's on. (laughs) Also we did rock up at their place. So you rocked up at a Korean barber or salon. I rocked up at a Chinese salon and I'm like, yeah, cut my hair. I could have gone to a British one or um, like English one or a Vietnamese one. That would have been a bit more harder actually. Um, or, and then I'll be like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, I said, I said, play one, not play 10 or something. Like, what's going on? Actually, so that's the thing. Uh, fun fact, people, I've never talked about this on the show before. Uh, white people don't know how to cut our hair. Simple as that. <laughs> preach, preach, man. Pre- preach. That so, is. People are always saying about like, they're saying like, oh, black hair. And I'm not saying black hair isn't like its own entity and you do got to know how to work with it but you also got to know how to work with our hair too we're not as simple as people think especially for the guys because longer hair you can get a lot away with a lot more with asian women or whoever wears our hair longer in asia world <laughs> but i'm stereotyping now that sucks but like no like okay so again nam and i have the literal same haircut right now mine's a little shorter right now because it's band camp time so i'm out in the sun a lot and but no it's usually long like yours and like I don't know. It's a whole thing. You have to know how to cut her hair, otherwise it's going to look horrible. <laughs> but how, how many times have you gone to a barber and then they've complained about your hair? Never, because I don't let them. I'm like, this is your job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I've, I've been to five barbers in my life and it scars me because if they're going, oh, your hair is really thick and it's horrible because I've got splinter in my hand. And I'm like, well, your barber or your your hairdresser, you cut hair, like deal with it. It's it's it's, it's his own. No, I, I didn't purposely come in with spiky hair just to spike you. It's not my fault. I have this hair. Like um, there's a picture in front of your shop that says you cut hair. That's why I'm here. Like, Straight up. <laughs> like hair splinters are part of the profession. I learned that from Tabitha Coffee on Sheer Genius. Apparently people mm. know about our hair does have those stuff sheer genius was like a haircut version of the great pottery challenge by the way uh or showdown whatever the show was called wow look at me not remembering the show anymore uh, man, we're friends down. beyond the show now so <laughs> the show's yeah, beyond forget me about the show. forget about the show and just focus on what we have <laughs> our relationship now uh so yeah okay so you said everything blah, blah, blah. oh where can people find you if they want to reach out and be like hey where are you at yeah, um, check us out on um, Synamic app um, on Insta, I guess. I, I'm I'm very quick at answering my um, Insta DM rather than, or if you're in London, Synamic Studio in Stoke Newington, a very relaxed, calming Jewish area um, you might find. Loads of kosher shops also. Um, I went into a pizza kosher place the other day wasn't the pizza that I expected, but still ate it just to find out what it tastes like. A very nice pie. <laughs> oh my God. So fun fact, everyone. <laughs> Part of the whole, like my parent, my family lives in kosher land in New York is that there was a Chinese restaurant and it was called Cho Sun because they are like, the chosen, chosen. people. Uh... Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, what a good way to advertise your kosher Chinese place. Cho Sun. I was oh like, they won. 
Where we were, did, did you know? Did, did your, did, does your viewers know? Um, have you explained to them why um, the Jewish community would go to a Chinese takeaway shop? No. Wasn't that the only thing open? Exactly. Um, at, at like uh, at one point, and that's why they would go there. I, I had to learn that as well. You know, uh, part of the <laughs> learning about the, you know um, the Jewish community. <laughs> and see, that's the other thing too. So when I was growing up in New York. My mom's Italian. I knew Italian slang. I knew Yiddish slang. I knew all this stuff that I thought was just general knowledge. And when I moved away, people are like, what? I'm like, whoops. So anyways, we're not about me. We're about you, Nam. Um, <laughs> that's how you know it's no. a good interview, that we're just bouncing off each other. Yeah. I. You know what? I'm, I'm just, I, it, it's, it's more fun, I think, I'm just listening to what your side is. And then I can kind of get an idea on like what more we can talk about as well. You know? And luckily... There's, there's a lot that we have in, in common. Like, you know, I, I can't wait for people to come and visit us and see the Jewish community area here now. And, you know, I, I know you can understand. Like, I'm, I'm so glad that you knew why that um, Jewish community would go to a Chinese shop, um, Chinese takeaway. And the movies. And the movies. Oh, my God. Gosh, guys. listen. To if you want to hear someone, by the way, talk about their culture in a not outsider perspective, by the way. Go listen to episode 16, Logan Ritchie, uh, who graduated, by the way, for those who are listening now. Logan Ritchie is, got his doctorate. Um, he actually it was stationed in New York at Mount Sinai, which was like the epicenter of the pandemic at one point when he got there. But he's Jewish too, and we talked all about his Judaism stuff. He did like, he lived, in, he went to Israel for a while and all that stuff. Cool. But yeah, go listen to Logan's episode and. Yeah, Nam. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. Nope. Just a random no guy. <laughs> I didn't even know if it was really you <laughs> when I reached out. I I, oh my god! True, I didn't have a blue tick or nothing, so I could have been the random popper. Like, Yay! I, I am that guy. You know. Um, can you verify it? Am I that agent? Actually, someone just asked me if my podcast counts as a verification source. Because mm, it's an um, interview. True. So you need like three um, prime main sources of like interviews. I know you um, need two. Maybe there's a third you need now because it got too easy. <laughs> it, it's so weird. Um, the only reason why I'm saying that is because I had a long conversation with a friend who's in the same building as me, the same building complex. He also graduated from St. Martin. And um, you should actually reach out to him. Um, his name is Jack Irwin. He's super cool. He designs like inflatable dresses for Lady Gaga and Paris Hilton. I knew I knew his name. He's, he's super cool. He's right next to me. I, I, if you want me to introduce him, he's please. Cool. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm literally going to go to Lady Gaga's concert next week. Like a week from the night. I'm going. He, he designed the infamous one that inflated when she walked out of the car. Um, yeah. And we were talking about it. And he's got thousands of followers and he can't, um, he hasn't got a blue tick yet. And we're like, I was like, dude, like, why don't you have a blue tick? And he's like, I know, because I don't have three respective interviews. And I was like, what do you mean? Lady Gaga just posted your shit and you're in her book, as she mentioned you. Paris Hilton's wearing your shit everywhere for her wedding or whatever it was. Um, and your work's everywhere. Like, um, what's going on? And like, I know. Just, I don't have, like, oh, oh, my God. It's so hard to get a blue tick. I'm like, what do you need to do? Kill someone or something? Uh, that's the wrong kind of blue tick you need, but okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, 
Um, yeah, but he's a he's a really good person to think about. Um, check oh my out. god! Um, Make the uh, connection so it's not just me again sliding into some random DMs. Please! Oh my god! Like, ah. he, he, owes, he owes me some favors. So I, I I can talk to chat to you. Ah, oh my god, everyone. Okay, so you heard it here first. I might be talking to, like, a designer. <laughs> Anyways, but, okay, so they're sick of us by now. Okay, everyone, so. Right. Safe. Cool. Nailed Thanks it. so much, Danny. No problem. And uh, catch us next orbit, next episode, whatever we're calling it, and peace out, world. Bye. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>